Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangiboundnetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out, tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On the next episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, we're talking the state of Star Wars as Disney gives us a taste of The Last Jedi and its new theme park openings. Then CEO of Utomic, Doki Tops stops by to chat about his great game streaming service and explains why it often gets referred to as the Netflix of gaming. Then the producers of the play, The Video Games, stop on by to explain why their hit off-Broadway show is really striking a connection with audiences. And no, it's not a rerun as our friends from the TV Ratings Guide return as we ask about all the latest rumors and ratings news in the TV marketplace. All this plus our thoughts on opening E3 to the public, another great hit from Hyperschmidt, and an interview from this past CES with World Tech Toys, plus a taste of the latest Double J film cast and more. So thanks very much for checking out another jam-packed episode as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back for another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glasper from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I know Rob loves it every time I do that. Uh, <laughs> we want to thank you again for joining us on another fabulous episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. If you get a chance, check us out every Monday night, 10.30 p.m., Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And we are also available for downloading at any point in time. You can check out all of our previous programs, plus the latest episode that also, if you're well, if you're listening on download, you already know. But download today on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast.com, also as well, Mixcloud, and Google Play. Also, you can check us out on the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network. Three great networks indeed. 
You can check out all their great programming that they have, all the great shows that they have on those stations. And also don't forget all of the great programming that's available on the podcast radio network as well. So we are now talking about a lot of great stuff here on today's episode. Indeed, I will have an interview with the CEO of Utomic, the great gaming service, and he's going to tell you all about it. It is Doki Tops. He's going to be calling in to us from the Netherlands, and, and I'll tell you what, he's got a great, great concept that everybody needs to check out with Utomic and utomic.com. Also as well, we've got the producers, Jared Pixler and David Stallworthy of the Video Games Play. Now, just wanted to check it out, thevideogamesplay.com. It is the video games. It's an offshoot of the Hunger Games that are really familiar with that series. Want to see a live production of a similar type thing, only set in the video game universe. Want to check it out. It's great. The highlights are there on YouTube. You want to check out everything they got going on there no show seems to end up in the same as from what they described it to me. So you want to definitely check it out. I will be talking to the producers, Jared Pixler and David Stallworthy today on the show. We just truly appreciate them being part of the program. And then last but not least, you know, with all the other great stuff that's going to go on in today's episode, the TV ratings guys are good friends at the TV ratings guide. will be stopping by. So you want to check them out. The TV ratings and also now on Facebook, they're updating constantly with all their stories there as well. So it's another great podcast indeed. We truly thank you for being part of it. And also our great sponsors, Rob McCallum Films and Retro City Games. If you want to be part of our sponsorship team like Rob McCallum Films and Retro City Games, want to check us out, you want to go ahead and send us a message. We will talk to you about being part of our sponsorship team because we're now on two great broadcasts each week on the big podcast radio network and also several other different audio outlets. So just send us a line. Or if you have a question in regards to the show or you want to ask us a question uh, that you want set on air, you want to check us out, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, at Pop Culture Cosmos on Twitter, and also send us an email, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. So we've got, again, our good friend, the co-host of the show, the main man like me, just, you know, I'm co-host, he's co-host, we're all co-hosts. It's a great pleasure indeed to have on the show my good friend, Mr. Josh Peterson, also the author of Vendetta Dark, the upcoming Congratulations You Suck, the director of Ghost Hussers, and the man behind Humanican Media. How are you, my friend? I'm good, good. So if two people are co-hosting, would that mean that they're co-hostitating? Would that be the correct terminology for that? I think that's correct, co-hostitating. But yeah, how are you doing, my friend? It's glad to have you back on the show, as always. I'm good, good, man. I'm thrilled to be here. How 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 are you doing? How the, the, you've, you've got all these pop culture cosmos has pretty much got its own like it's got it's got a multiverse now. So I mean, eventually we're gonna have to we're gonna have all these things orbiting around us. So as the uh, creator of this universe, tell me how's life. Life is good, and uh, people should check out our other great show, The PCC Multiverse, which is on all those great programmings. And in fact, these same uses the same RSS feed, uses the same channels downloaded. You'll get it every Friday. Um, the, the show itself airs on the podcast radio network on Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. That's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the podcast radio network. And again, on all our different stations and networks. So we've got a great program lined up for you, indeed. 
So before we get to those great things that are coming up in this hour, including another great CES interview also lined up for as well, want to talk to you a little bit about a couple things that came across our desk recently. Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, you know, which you said recently on a recent podcast that, you know, they own the world. In his latest earnings call in regards to owning the world, got a chance to take a sneak peek already at The Last Jedi and also talked about Star Wars Land coming in 2019 to the California and Orlando Disney World and Disneyland theme parks. So your thoughts on exactly how this is shaping up between the acquisition of the Star Wars universe and Lucasfilm and all that. Is this something that you had pictured when they first bought them back four or five years ago? I don't actually know what I pictured. I, you know, I wasn't expecting any more Star Wars movies, at least not anytime soon. And so, I mean, so far I've been impressed, but Bob Iger, like he's, I I think him telling us that he's seen the last Jedi is kind of a jerk move because now we have to wait until December to see it. And, um, you know, you've obviously read the article. He says, Star, I quote, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, otherwise known as Episode 8, will open in December. And I just saw it last week. It's a great next chapter in the iconic Skywalker family saga. So he's trying to sell us Star Wars, but we are already sold on Star Wars. So what, really, like, what, what is the point of him saying anything about it at all besides, you know, obviously he's seen it. Do you have an open cut? Because he's, like, rubbing salt on it as, as he, basically it's what he's doing. He really is. He really is. That, that's, yeah. No, it, 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 I, I don't understand why he needed to say that because the movie comes out in December. We're, we're obviously on board to watch it, but you don't have to, like, shove it in our face that, you know, he's like one of those little kids at the zoo that stands in front of, like, the uh, gorilla exhibit eating an ice cream cone. And, and, you know, and the gorilla wants it and can't have it. There. Yes, I could, I could definitely see that. Again. I want the candy. I want the ice cream. We want, <laughs> but can't have it. So uh, tough luck for us indeed. We have to wait until December. But what are you going to do? We're hoping for some great stuff indeed. In fact, I'm also going to be able to hopefully play something from along the lines of Humanican Media. And uh, Josh... If people didn't get a chance to check out last week's program on the PCC Multiverse, which they can get on download today, tell us a little bit more about the new venture you're starting up with Humanican Media. Humanican Media is the, uh, I don't know, I guess you can say love child of Pogue Media. It's uh, So Pogue Media is closed down. Everything I create going forward, including all of my podcasts like uh, Chad and Travis's musical show about music, the Double J film cast, the Super Bro Station uh, games cast, and I, I'm probably forgetting something, but Ghost Toasters. Uh, all this stuff moving forward is going to be produced under Humanican Media. So if you've been a fan of Pogue Media, please follow us. Uh, same team, different name. And uh, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, there will be some stuff up on Pop Culture Cosmos. And we are actually really excited about where the future is going, especially teaming with Gerald Glassford and Rob McCallum to create some amazing content and uh, shameless plugging. So that uh, does it for right now, but we've got a, a you know a great show planned for you today. We, we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast. Josh, any last words before we head on out? Because I've got another great song from Hyperschmidt coming along the way as well. Yeah, uh, please check out Humanican Media. Um, 
you know, I'll, we appreciate all the support you can get. And obviously, the more uh, followers and subscribers we have on YouTube and Facebook, the more credibility we will have to do more things. So, as always, I appreciate everything. I appreciate the fans and Pop Culture Cosmos and uh, Rob McCallum Films, Retro City Games. Uh, thank you. And I look forward to uh, creating some awesome stuff in the future here. I definitely look forward to as well, indeed. So here we go. For Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. Check it out. It's going to be a great hour for you. But first, here's a song from our good friends at Hyperschmidt. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. I can tell you're not the same They'll find you if you stay Will you hold back? Or will you give yourself away? The day you came home So sure I lost you The way you're walking right at me That thing that haunts you It's not on your back did you decide that you were free? I don't know what you say. You got to give it up to live this way. I can tell your heart is truly changed. Oh, in a second breath, I see your name and I see the light behind your eyes. Are you going out the window? I 
once I woke up, I knew we'd go another day. No one in this world gonna ever take you away. Was it all for nothing? No. Was it all for nothing? No. I can tell you how this truly changed. Oh, in a second breath, I say your name and I see the light behind your eyes again. I can see you how this truly changed. Oh, in a second breath, I say your name and I see the light behind your eyes again. I can tell you. That was Hyperschmidt with I Can Tell. Find more of their awesome music today on their YouTube channel and hyperschmidt.com. That's H-Y-P-E-R-S-C-H-M-I-T-T dot com. Up next, the CEO of Utomic, Doki Top, stops by to explain his new game streaming service. And after that, we chat with David Stolworthy and Jared Pixler, producers of the play The Video Games. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. 2017 is a pinnacle year for Rob McCallum Films. Coming off the heels of the internationally acclaimed and award-winning documentary Missing Mom, we're in the final stages to release Kitty, Origins and Evolutions. Check out this heavy metal biopic that explores the ups and downs of rock and roll for the women in Kitty who blazed a trail in the music industry in the face of unthinkable adversity. Kitty, Origins and Evolutions releases this year from Rob McCallum Films. 2017 is the year to set your future on fire. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with again with another segment right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. How is everyone out there? Again, we truly appreciate you listening to us. We are again on the podcast radio network every monday night 10 30 eastern 7 30 p.m pacific and catch our other show the pcc multiverse also on the podcast radio network on fridays at 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific download the show anytime you can do it not a problem because you can get the show at any time on our pop culture cosmos channels on eso network the Tangent Bound Network, the Gunna Geek Network, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, and Google Play. So I'll tell you what, everybody out there that is a avid gamer, this is a segment for you because I tell you what, we have got a great guest coming on today. If you like gaming as much as I like gaming, and especially if you're a great PC gamer out there, everybody's always asking, what's the best way to go ahead and play PC games? Well, one of the great new ways that's coming out, and it's actually out in open beta right now, so you can take a look at it, is called Utomic, and it's U-T-O-M-I-K dot com. That's U-T-O-M-I-K dot com. It's a great new game streaming service 
that uh, actually comes right to your hard drive, and it does a lot of great things. And who better to talk about Utomic and their wonderful array of games that they have, which is now, like I said, in open beta, and you can get a 14-day free trial if you go to utomic.com right now. He is the CEO of Utomic. It is Doki Tops. How are you today, my friend? <laughs> but awesome. That. But it's great to have you on the show. I was telling everyone about the great service that you guys are offering to gamers out there. But tell us a little bit more about Utomic and Utomic.com. Yes, yeah, so Utomic is a, an all-you-can-eat gaming service. Uh, the best way we always explain it, it's, it's a bit like Netflix for games. And it allows you to play, right now, I believe, 450 games, usually in 30 seconds. Uh, the cool thing about it is that you can play games with one click really fast. And the other cool thing is that we're adding 30 games every month. And the awesome thing is also that we do not do the same streaming as what other people do. Uh, we download to your hard drive, but we do it in a really smart way because we only download a very small portion of the game, sometimes even just one hundredth of the game to get you going. And then when you're playing, we make sure that all the content is there before you need it. So a game like Darksiders, which is a 10 gigabyte game, you can start playing it in one click after downloading only 300 megabytes if you have a proper internet connection. Oh, that, that's great indeed. And that's something I, I really wanted to talk to you more about because people have to wait for downloads. I know someone, uh, you know, as far as being a console gamer as well, you sometimes have to wait to actually, when you buy the game, you still have to wait before you actually are, are able to even get anywhere near playing the game. Uh, same thing as far as from a PC standpoint as well. So the advantage of actually going and playing the game within just a short amount of time while it feeds into the background, how did that come about as far as that concept is concerned? Uh, the technology for that is something that we've been working on a long time. Mm -hmm. there, we don't know of any other company doing it. It's also pretty difficult. Um, it came about a long time ago. We already built technology that worked a bit more manual, mm -hmm. and we sold that to MMO companies. But then um, uh, we discovered uh, a new innovation. Basically, it was we were able to predict what people needed before they need it in a very reliable way. So our 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 technology is only wrong point zero zero one percent of the time. Okay. Um and uh, the other thing is we were able to start uh, to do this with games without any effort from a developer whatsoever. So the reason we as a startup are now having forty four hundred and fifty games live within a year and adding 30 to 40 games every month uh, is because all we need from a developer or publisher is a build of the game. And then our technology uh, will chop up the game and make it run. And we will fool the game into thinking it's there, but it's not. That, oh, that's, that's kind nice. of how it works. Oh, that that's really inventive and ingenious indeed. Um, <laughs> So far, uh, I know there's there's been a lot of great responses that I've seen online, but on a personal level, what are gamers telling you about how they feel about the great options that's, that are available with Utomic? Yeah, so when we started the service, we're doing subscription gaming, which is something totally new um, in gaming. Um, and the response is becoming more and more positive. 
Um, so to be very transparent, on the positive side, the stuff we're seeing today is people get to discover and play games that they would otherwise never try out because there's no friction between you and playing and trying that game because you, there's no investment required, just like on Netflix. Um, and the greatest thing I've seen thus far is that we recently launched um, Borderlands on the platform. Um, and we also have a lot of women on the platform because we like to have a broad library of games going from casual to hardcore to um, adventure games. And all of a sudden we get someone on Facebook saying, well, I usually only play time management games, but I now tried out this Borderlands thing. You know, as a gamer, you go like, everybody knows Borderlands, but this is a lady who's never heard of the game and says, but it's actually really cool to play. And then that was one of the goals that we have with Unleash Gaming. And yeah, that's that's just awesome. Um, on the slightly negative side, you know, some people say, well, I already have 300 games in my Steam library. Well, to be very frank, from our point of view, um, Utomic is all about discovering games, playing games very fast and easy. And usually the people that love love it to death are people that are a bit busy, want to play a game, and they have two hours in an evening to play a game. And then, you know, if you go to your console and you want to try out a new game, you're never going to play it because it will take you two hours to even get through the patches and the whole process. Um, so that's the big upside. Um, the other response that we sometimes get is, but less and less is why are there no new games on it? Why isn't the, the latest call of duty on it? Well, the answer on that one is pretty simple. Right now we're a five ninety nine a month subscription. And if you want to put a $60 new game on that platform, that's going to be tough from a business point of view. So I, we're not selling that. But the cool news is that uh, we're now getting very fresh indie games, like just launched uh, indie games on the platform on a monthly basis. And we have to admit that it's been a, quite an achievement to get all the big partners uh, that we have yet to announce to put their games on our platform because for them, it's a big step. They're all... It's like going from iTunes to Spotify. They they have this business model of selling units and then making money on the units with Steam sales, um, digital sales, physical sales. And now here comes this subscription uh, model. So um, what we've been able to uh, convince quite a few of them, we're going to be announcing one, two, three big partners in the next two to three months, um, hopefully two. Um, and there's more being lined up as we speak. So, uh, yeah, responses are getting more and more positive, and our Facebook is starting to explode, honestly. Um, we went from one message a week to 20, 30 messages to our Facebook people a day, and we're now hiring new people to take care of that. And, uh, uh, no, yeah. that, it sounds like a, a great, indeed, a great response, indeed. Uh, and like I said the before, for someone who, like myself, has a very limited time these days with a family, with, with obviously all the responsibilities that, that come with Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source and, and doing that, there's a very limited amount of time that I have in the day to go ahead and play games. This definitely is, is a much, much more attractive option indeed because you can literally just go ahead, 
select a game on the service and literally just in a matter of, of just a few moments, go ahead and get involved in that game already. So it is truly a great option indeed. Some of the other titles that are in there, such as Unreal Tournament, Darksiders, The Walking mm-hmm. Dead series by Telltale, Left 4 Dead 2, Sonic, Sega All-Stars Racing. A lot of Sega titles were in there that I noticed as well. So uh, yep. right now I have listed on your site 445 titles available right now at, at your fingertips. If you are out there and you're a serious gamer or even a casual gamer, indeed, this is a definitely a system you got to try. And what what's going to cost you? Nothing right now for 14 days. It's a 14-day free trial. Just go to Utomic. That's U-T-O-M-I-K dot com. During the open beta, it is $5.99 a month. You just cannot beat that for a ton of great games that are right there at your fingertips. Doki, I, I want to tell you this has just been a great pleasure having you on, but is there any last words that you have for consumers out there about the great service you have with Utomic? I say seeing is believing. People really have to try it and experience how it feels to have so many games and discover crazy indies, but also the classics that you know. It's um, Usually people, they shift when, once they try it. We had a guy who was a hater. He tried it, and he, he started to apologize. So I think trying, seeing is believing. It's the best. I wanted to ask you one more question before we head on out, and I forgot to mention this earlier. What are the system requirements that people need as far as the PC is concerned? The system requirements, because we run the games natively on the system, they are identical to uh, what the system requirements are for the games. Uh, Right now, I'd say a lot of the games can be uh, played on an older to medium-aged laptop or PC. But some of the high-end games... Like Red Faction Armageddon, which is a really cool game that I'm playing myself right now. That's a bit more high end, but uh, games like The Walking Dead they don't require a lot of a lot of graphics power. So you know, if Windows Seven, Windows Eight, even a Windows Ten, obviously that yep. that will definitely power it indeed. But uh, yep. even if you have an older system, it's definitely something you want to check out. It is, I tell you what, it's a great service, and I tell everyone out there if you get a chance to just try it. 14 days what have you got to lose 14 day free trial that's out there for you for a great gaming service that's adding you said 30 games every month is that correct yep and we're planning to increase it to around 40 to 50 games uh, a month by the end of the year oh that's awesome indeed so that tell you what it's right now 445 titles that are, are at your fingertips with so many more on the way the service itself in open beta is $5.99 a month, and it's a 14-day free trial. You got to try it. For more information, check out Utomic. That's U-T-O-M-I-K dot com. That's Utomic. U-T-O-M-I-K dot com. Or check them out the, on Facebook. U-T-O-M-I-K on Facebook today. Doki Tops, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. We truly appreciate you taking the time because I'll tell you what, everybody out there, he is calling and he's talking to us from the Netherlands. And I'll tell you what, uh, it's just been a great pleasure because they are in a different time zone and the courtesy that your company has taken and as far as reaching out to us and arranging this interview is greatly appreciated. Uh, Leontine, you did uh, no just awesome. I, I appreciate all her efforts. And to you, Mr. Tops, just again, my my heartfelt thank you for taking the time to speak to us today and being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Cool. It was a great pleasure to do so, Gerald.
Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. And we'll be right back with more from the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. How are you out there? Thanks for joining us here on the Pop Culture Cosmos show and also the PCC Multiverse. Check out both shows on the Podcast Radio Network, the ESO Network, the Tangent Bound Network, the Gunna Geek Network, and of course, you can always download us at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Mixcloud, and Podcast.com. So we've got a, a great interview coming up for you right now. We're just so happy to have finally on the air after interacting for for the past uh, few weeks or so. You know, everybody knows about the the hit series uh, in the movies, the Hunger Games, and the books that obviously uh, created to them, and and uh, knows exactly the storyline as far as uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character is concerned. But it's created almost a, a great offshoot now that that uh, movie series is finally done and over with. So. Uh, I have a couple guys here today who are now in charge of the most interesting and obviously the most uh, pop culture-centric productions that are out there. They are David Stolworthy and Jared Pixler. They're the guys from MB Productions, and they are in charge of video games, The Play. All right. Uh, It's now going to be playing, uh, I guess, from what I'm understanding, in New York and also Los Angeles on a regular basis. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Well, first off, thanks, guys, for coming on the show. We truly appreciate it. Before we get into particulars about the show itself, I want to make sure, you know, when we'll touch on this again for people at the end of the interview, where can they go to find out how to get tickets and also exactly where is the show first playing off at? So you can go to thevideogamesplay.com for all the information about the show, both in Los Angeles and New York. You can also check out our Facebook.com slash the video games M as in Michael B as in boy MB on Twitter at the video games MB. The shows are playing in Los Angeles at the complex theaters and in New York, we're playing monthly shows typically on Saturday nights at 7 PM, the third Saturday of the month, but that sometimes can change. So check out the video games play.com for all of the, actual upcoming show dates and the new york show is performing at the electric theater which is on 43rd and 8th avenue right a block from times square how much better can it get for an amazing off-broadway show now i've had a chance to check out a lot of the footage that you guys have online as far as from the videogamesplay.com david i wanted to ask you real quick if you were to meet somebody out on the street, how would you describe it to someone to get them interested in going and grabbing a ticket for video games, the play? First, I would tell them that the show changes every single performance. Uh, no two shows are exactly alike. We've never had the same two people in the top two ever in the same kind of storyline that they have performed in. 
Uh, there's combat <laughs> left and right. Um, it, there's a bunch of blood and gore effects, different kind of weapon use. We've got uh, whips. We've got stabs. Uh, we've got Peach's frying pan, and even her booty bump is in there. So it's one person described it as a nerdgasm, and I'm that's a pretty accurate way to describe the show. Uh, definitely, indeed, because it looked like it when I was watching all the YouTube highlights and whatnot. And uh, Jared, I want to ask you, so it does essentially recreate the concept of the Hunger Games and as far as using uh, you know, well-known video game characters, but how did you guys come up with the, the actual scenario for video games? So uh, re- growing up, I read a lot of books that were called Choose Your Own Adventure books. Where, like, literally you read the book and it was like, if you want your character to go left on the road, turn to page 87. If you want to go right, turn to page 92. And David and I thought, where the audience gets to pick, like, hey, this is what we want to do as a collective. And then taking that Hunger Games kind of concept where the members of the capital could send favors or gifts to their favorite contestants. We kind of uh, took that and, and ran with that. As far as creating the world of the show, I have a performance background from Disney. And so I took that concept of like walking in to an environment and being in somewhere. And that's kind of how we model the show. As soon as you walk in, the actors, the video game characters are talking to you like you're a citizen of what we call the console instead of the capital in our show. And getting you involved in the story and trying to immerse you in it and uh, just talking to you. They have no idea that they're going to be contestants in it. How we came up with the show, one night, David and I were walking in uh, Venice Beach when I lived in Venice, and we're just talking about the shows that we had just finished the year before and the shows, the kind of shows we've written. And we talked about our favorite things. We're like, you know, I love video games. Like, I grew up playing Final Fantasy a lot and Legend of Zelda and David was huge on Legend of Zelda and Pokemon Mm -hmm. and um, playing Halo myself and Call of Duty and Mass Effect and we were like you know there should be a video games play a giant margarita each about the size of your head later (laughs) Uh, there it is there we go with a with with just a little bit of tequila and uh, a margarita mix maybe we were like let's do this show called the video games. We'll call it the video games, and it'll work this way. And that's kind of where everything began, and that was back in 2014. And look where it's gone to today. Uh, like I said, shows in New York and Los Angeles. So if you are there in those cities or you want to find out more information on how to get tickets to both shows, just check them out at thevideogamesplay.com. Now, David, when we're talking about the video games Tell me some of the difficulties in putting such a show together. What are what are some of the challenges that that you guys have faced as for, in regards to putting it all together to make it one complete production? One thing that is very challenging for both the uh, director and choreographer, but as well as the entire cast, is that everyone needs to be trained as a swing because you don't know path the story is going to go, and things will change at the drop of a hat, like literally a matter of like five seconds we will go okay this is what's going on go and they have to go out and they have to do that they have had to learn different fight sequences numerous numerous scenes everybody every single actor knows the script backward and forward for multiple roles it's a very demanding role for those actors and for us as well for one the rehearsal schedule can be 
very daunting making sure that you hit absolutely everything because we've got 12 monologues, we've got 12 scenes. Oh my gosh. We've, and having to just run it over and over and over to give these people practice and to give ourselves kind of like more time to like clean it and even polish it because it's always constantly changing as video games are where mm-hmm. we need to update and throw even more fun references in there and uh, keep the story moving along and adapting because there's no way you can do all the different scenarios. So David, for everybody out there who wants to know more about video games to play, where do they go to? How can they find it? How can they get tickets? And also just as important, will the video games to play be branching out to other cities anytime soon? All right. So you can get your tickets at the video games, running in at the complex the third Friday of every month at 11 o'clock PM. We do sell alcohol. So that's a plus. <laughs> and then we've got uh, every third Saturday. Normally the dates do sometimes change at 7 PM in New York at the electric theater, just off Broadway on 43rd street. It's between seventh and eighth drinking at this show. It's fantastic. Like, <laughs> get blasted on a mega buster and just watch Princess Peach wail on Master Chief. It's a great fun. We love it when the audience is rowdy. We absolutely adore it. Um, we're hoping that we can branch it out to some other areas. Awesome. So they just need to keep in touch with thevideogamesplay.com to stay in touch with everything that you guys are doing indeed. Is that correct? Or follow us on Twitter at thevideogamesmb. And Instagram. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're on Instagram, too. All right, sweet. So everybody wants to check that out. You take a look at that indeed, Jared and David. It's been a great pleasure having you on Pop Culture Cosmos. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. So everyone, check that out. Indeed, it is Video Games to Play. You can find more information today at thevideogamesplay.com. Also, check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and also Twitter as well. Guys, it's been a pleasure indeed. Want to thank you. And any last words before we head on out? Long live Long the live console. console. Yeah. <laughs> Long live the console indeed. So again, that's David Stolworthy and Jared Pixler from Video Games to Play. Guys, it's been a great pleasure having you on. We appreciate you being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Game Source is your number one source for everything video games. Each week we bring you the best of the video gaming world from sites all over the internet. Like us today on Facebook or follow us today at GameSource and you'll stay up with the latest in information and news, plus also about all the great things we're doing on our GameSource Facebook, Twitter, and GameSource YouTube pages. Stay up to date with the video gaming world right here at GameSource. Thanks to David and Jared for stopping by. Up next, it's a taste of the Double J Filmcast which you can find on Facebook at Humanica Media and Pop Culture Cosmos. But they said that the dead have taken over the sea, so that might be why he has like the, the clams all over his face. Well, he is he is still he's dead. He you know, he gave up his life in order to he sacrificed himself in order to to save everyone that was dear to him and I think that that he's going to play a role i don't know if he'll be the you know, big role that he had before because there's just it's getting kind of crowded in the in the whole universe there but you still have to give a lot of time for jack sparrow to be well jack sparrow, jack sparrow. because that's why people are coming into the movie as, as to speak so 
That's the Double J Filmcast on Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanican Media. Right after the break, we have Jess from the TV Ratings Guide standing by with her thoughts on the TV scene, and then we return to CES and chat with the people behind the awesome drones of World Tech Toys. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, venture into the Pop Culture Cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the Cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome. To the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back here for another segment of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Gerald Glassford, again, from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening out there. So thankful to have you out there listening to us. We're the number one show on Monday nights on the podcast radio network with over 10,000 people a month listening. We truly appreciate it. And isn't it's, it's just because of you, great people out there listening to us. We truly appreciate it. And we just found out we're also the number two on the network overall, the number two shows. So we are truly overwhelmed indeed. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening. If you get a chance, check us out, the Podcast Radio Network. We're on 1030 p.m. Eastern, 730 p.m. Pacific. Also as well, if you missed the show there, you can download it at any time after the show airs on Monday nights. And that's all week long for you. It's it's there on a permanent basis. And that's going to be on the ESO network, the Tangibound network, the Gunna Geek network. Also as well, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Google Play, and Mixcloud. So, like an awesome TV show episode that you missed, that you could not find, that comes back to air again during the summertime, the great folks at the TV Ratings Guide com are back with us again it's jess boggs one of the lead writers for the tv ratings guide.com how are you Jess? today it is truly a pleasure to have you on the show i'm doing really well so let's get into it as far as you know the nooks and crannies as as i love i i tell you what i'm a numbers person i love going to box office mojo and checking out the numbers there and variety and all that but I also love going to the TVRatingsGuide.com when it comes to finding out exactly what I need to find out and what I need to know in regards to TV ratings are concerned from the major networks, the cable networks, and pretty much all across the board when it comes to the TV spectrum. So, Jess, I want to talk to you about well, I just latest news that, that came down the wire recently was ABC just made a major, major announcement in regards to its, uh, I believe it's Thursday night lineup. Is that correct? Yep. TGIT has recently been renewed for another season. Oh, that's, that's great indeed. That's three shows. And to do that for the entire across the board, that kind of actually makes a great statement about their confidence in all three of those shows. Is that correct? I think it definitely does. Scandal will be on next season for season seven, How to Get Away with Murder for season four, and Grey's Anatomy will be on for its 14th season. And that's what's surprising is that Scandal and Grey's Anatomy, which, as you said, are in their 7th and 14th seasons going into, that they have sustained that kind of durability as far as you know TV shows are concerned because there's, there's 
a similarity of shows that that reach that point as they near 10 years of age, uh, maybe even go over that audiences start to wane and die out and they start to go downhill because of it as far as from a creative and also a viewership standpoint as well. So that's that's excellent news indeed for those fans out there of the, that Thursday night lineup on ABC. What are your thoughts on where you think the Walking Dead series will go ratings-wise? Because a lot of people were turned off to the at after this initial season airing with, uh, you know, as far as Negan coming on and Basically, uh, a lot of people were turned off after that that episode. Well, I think it's going to be one of the highest rated shows on the night, if not the highest on Sunday night. I'm predicting at least a 7.0, if I'm being optimistic. Okay. We'll just see how it goes in the Nielsen ratings. Okay. Because I notice, and that usually happens for The Walking Dead, where they're, everybody checks in for the season premiere and it sort of tails off after that. I noticed there was a lot of backlash to the violence in that first episode of the season and viewership tailed off. So I'm interested to find out exactly what happens now that the mid-season premiere is coming on. So definitely, uh, those are some great numbers indeed. And what are some of the shows in February that you're looking forward to? I know there was uh, obviously the FX show, you know, in their collaboration with Marvel. But there's also a lot more shows that are now starting to trickle out on the air. But what are some of the shows that, that you're pointing to that you think might stick for the long run? I'm currently watching CW's Riverdale currently. I've heard a lot of good buzz on that one as far as the recreation, the reimagining of the famous uh, Archie comic book series. We got its ratings report that it has adjusted up for week three. Oh, so that, that's good. That's good news. With the season that has frequency and no tomorrow not doing as well as previously thought, but hopefully Riverdale sticks. Some of the actual cable shows that are out there, are, are there some favorites for you that, that you're looking forward to uh, and shows that maybe people should watch out for on the cable networks as well? Unreal's third season is coming out this summer. No premiere date has been announced yet. And I'm excited to see that Good Behavior has been renewed for a second season fairly recently. And so I'm looking forward to that as well. But other than that... Reality TV has apparently ruled the roost. Uh, that it has on cable networks. But I was I wanted to get back to you on Legion from Fox. You know, they just had their premiere the other day. And this is something that you and I both have seen Marvel do really well in the confines of Netflix. But when it comes to Marvel, anywhere else on television, it's been kind of spotty. They had one year, good year of Agent Carter one good year of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it looks like from there it's really not been the best of times for Marvel on public television. Your thoughts on Legion as far as being a hit for FX? I'm honestly pretty pleasantly surprised that about its premiere number, and I'm waiting to see um, how long it would maintain the numbers. But currently a 0.5 is pretty much a hit on FX currently. I definitely, uh, and like you, am very eager to see what happens next week when when the news comes out as far as their ratings are concerned for the second show to see if it holds any type of strong audience. 
But uh, I'll tell you what, Jess Boggs from the TVRatingsGuide.com, I'll tell you what, it's been an extreme pleasure having you on the show. I hope both you and also everyone on the staff at the TVRatingsGuide.com, you're, all of you are always invited to stop on the show. Yes, we are definitely coming back to discuss renewals, some cancellations, some expected ones, some pickups, you name it. Oh, that's awesome indeed. Awesome indeed. So we will definitely look out for that. Jess Boggs, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Check her work out at the TVRatingsGuide.com. That's the TVRatingsGuide.com with a tremendous library of articles there, reviews, renew, cancel indexes. It's just a tremendous, tremendous place to go indeed for everything TV ratings and the TV ratings scene. Jess, I'd like to thank you again for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos Again, we hope to talk to you real soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you indeed. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we are back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We are still at CES 2017. We're rocking it right here on the showroom floor. And now, for everybody out there, we are doing a great thing by going into, well, not just drones, not just Marvel, but we are dealing with World Tech Toys. And I'm telling you right now, I'm here with Ben Ibarra from World Tech Toys. First off, Ben, it's a great pleasure having you on. You're going to tell us about the great, great industry of drones because I'm telling you, it's growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah, drones by far, you know, just are the most popular toys out there. You, you, you know, you hear parents, that's all they, you know, my kid wants a drone, my kid wants a drone. Exactly. And that's kind of what we specialize in, is, is getting a drone for, for pretty much anybody, any price range, you know, any type of, any, everything from Marvel to Spider, you know, Spider-Man to Angry Birds to Ghostbusters to just, you know, GPS type drones. So we, we have it all. Yeah. And we only see the market growing because... As technology advances, the prices come down and stuff. Technology that wasn't available last year is now going to be available this year, where you can have GPS in a drone that's around $100, where, you know, last year it was only, you had to pay five or $600 to have a drone that had GPS to to have more advanced features. It's it's kind of our our goal for this next year. Sweet. So what exactly do you want to show us here today in regards to drones, some of the licenses you have, but also as well the pricing, and how can they get their hands on all these awesome drones? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We partner with, you know, all the major retailers selling these drones, so you can find our stuff at Sam's Club, at Kmart, at Toys R Us. Online, you can go to Hobbytron.com. They're a large retailer. They carry pretty much our full line. Uh, pretty much anywhere online, Amazon carries our full, you know, full line of stuff. We partner with all the major large licenses like Disney with Marvel, um, just because we know you know kids love Spider-Man. We're excited with that. That's going to be in all the major retailers, Sam's Club, and, uh, and so forth. We're going to have uh, those products in store. Yeah, so most of our drones obviously include a camera. Different price ranges from around, and anywhere from around $39 up to about $100 is kind of what we specialize in. We do have higher end drones, but that's really, we're more in the entry level, but offer really easy to fly, hover really well, include everything they need so that there's no, no, you know, nothing additional they need to get after, you know, after they get it. Okay. Um, something new that we're, we're working on now is going to be a line of, uh, Spider-Man drones, uh, uh, we also got Captain America, Iron Man, we also do NFL, we yeah, work with NFL. I saw that as well, you got Tony Romo, Tom Brady, Peyton uh, Manning, Andrew Luck, although Tony Romo may be on the bench <laughs> or in a different uniform coming yes. up, so, up yeah, soon. Exactly. You know, you told me all the great retailers that you can find their products at, 
but if they want to know more information on specifics, you know, because sometimes those retailers, Amazon, Walmart, they're great for selling products, but giving you enough information sometimes may not be enough. Where can they go to find out more about all your great drones that you have to offer out there? Yeah, so our company website is worldtechtoys.com. That has our full list of items. We have videos on most, you know, all of our top items. Oh, really? That's awesome. Uh, information on them, demo videos, open box, that type of videos are available on YouTube as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's great indeed. So, once again, uh, uh, we're here at World Tech Tours. I'm here with Ben Ibarra. I'm telling you what, it's been a pleasure talking today. And I'll tell you what, if you don't get some drones out there, I know a lot of people who want to as well. So, thank you again for joining us right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. For more on all their products, check out World Tech Toys today at local retailers and worldtechtoys.com. When we return, we're closing our show with our thoughts on the latest E3 news. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. So before we head on out, I also want to touch on another subject. E3 is something that both you and I are very familiar with as far as for many years being the center of the video game universe is kind of doing something different. They are trying to make it a little bit more fan friendly. And in doing so, they are allegating 15,000 tickets to the public in a couple different allotments as far as trying to make sure that the, you know it's fair as possible to getting that out there. My question to you is, how do you think E3 at this point in time should be structured? I honestly, I don't see them changing it much. I know, what did they have before? They had uh, they had E3 for the press, and then they had another thing called E3 for everyone. Am I correct in that? No, that was a separate one. E for everyone was a separate thing. E3 has been just available to industry in, uh, insiders, media, and then also anybody who's been exhibitors or, and special invited guests. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that from what I've heard about E3, like just with the press, it's, and special guests, it's a madhouse anyway. So I think letting, what would you say, 15,000 people come in is going to create a lot of problems. So a lot of journalists that go there are looking to give to give people scoops. They want to write stories. They want people to know what's coming out, what's current, what what these developers are doing. But if you let a bunch of people in there that aren't press or or fanboys, for instance, that you're going to have a hard time getting that information out to people. Uh, so I, I I like the way that it's structured, but I hope that since they're letting all these people in now, I hope that they still have special things for the press, like special opportunities to talk to them. That, like the same way they would structure uh, like a NHL event, like the All-Star game I was just at. Like they have rooms where you can talk to all the people who are worth talking to. Definitely. I, I kind of agree to you as well. Uh, I have attended E3 on four or five occasions, and uh, I know waiting in lines, the lines have been – discussed for many years now as far as how long they are how how already as far as last year with zelda lines were you know as doug said several hours long just to play a 15 minute demo of it so uh, 
I don't think it's going to get any prettier from that end. And like you said, it's going to be harder for individuals and the inside as far as the press, the media, the the exhibitors, things of that nature to do their business, to make their transactions. Plus also as well, it's for a lot of publishers, it's where they do business with retailers. You can't forget that. It's similar to what CES does as well. So I think from that end, it's going to be a little bit harder to do business. But from the ESA standpoint, which runs E3, I don't think they saw any alternative because each year they saw more and more big name publishers pulling out to do their own shows and do their own E3 type formats. So I think in order in response to losing that type of income that they had to go that route from that end, I don't blame them. It's just going to be very hard for individuals such as us to go ahead and cover it the way we want to from that aspect. But you know what we got to do, we got to do in order to make sure that the consumer base who cannot attend E3 gets it's a great amount of coverage. And if it's best long-term for E3 to go more and more public, then that's what it's going to have to be. And, and the media and the press are just going to have to get used to it. If you have any questions for us here on the show, or if you want to be part of our sponsorship team, or you, or you just have a great idea that you want correlated on the show, or you want to be a guest on the show, just send us a line, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, also as well, Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, and popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. And don't forget to like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Any last thoughts? Uh, no, uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, more trips through the multiverse and the cosmos with the um, ever-omnipotent Gerald. Oh my gosh, indeed. So for Josh Peterson, the author of Vendetta Dark and the Congratulations You Suck and Ghost Toasters and the man behind Humanic Media, this is Gerald Glassford. We want to thank you for watching. We want to thank you for listening. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos and here's hoping you have yourself a great day this has been a broadcast of the eso network your station for all things geek classic current and beyond be part of the crew at esonetwork.com tangent bound network let your voice be heard tangentboundnetwork.com Thanks so much for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. As a special treat, we're adding an extra episode of the Double J Filmcast with Josh Peterson and filling in myself, Gerald Glassford. We truly appreciate you listening to the show. Sit back and relax because here comes some more awesome podcast goodness from your friends at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back here with another episode of the Double J Filmcast. We are minus a J today. And what plus do you mean a, minus a J? We're plus a G, Gerald. No, no. For today, it's Jerry. Jerry. I, let me tell you a story right here. Okay. Well, go ahead and, and bring in your intro. I don't want to throw you no, off. No, no, that, that was the intro. Now I'm interested in what you're saying. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Everybody seems to have a hard time with Gerald when I'm out in the public eye. So after a while, my dad's nickname was Jerry. So I said, fine, I'll start using Jerry when, you know, sir, would you like a table? What kind of table for, I'll say, Jerry, can you reserve a table for two for Jerry? Let's say, for instance, like that. So you go to, you know, all those different places, you drop the name Jerry and people most of the time get it right. whatnot. 
except for Starbucks. So I used to say Jerry, you know, Jerry, and they they would still misspell it all the time, and I'm just like, forget it. With I'll just a, go with back. A G? To, like a, yeah. like a, like no, a with a J, with a J, with a J. You know, J E R R Y. You know, just Tom and Jerry like that. You know, like the mouse and all that. So you go in, and I just said, you know, I'll go back to my real name, Gerald, and whatnot. So I went there the other day to go get a hot chocolate. Sir, can you say say your name, Gerald? Okay, it's easy enough. If I went to every Starbucks, they would they would probably all spell my name differently. But that's beside the point. So I grab the cup, everything's fine, about ready to drink, and I see this J E R O A D Gerald. Uh, so you know what? Maybe for this time, I be might be Gerald. So how you doing? Gerald. That, that's like I think that people at Starbucks are notoriously bad at spelling people's names. Like there's a lot of like really easy names out there too that get spelled wrong on cups. I'm just going to say I'm a hot chocolate, hot chocolate. Here's your hot chocolate. There you go. Hey, yes. Or you could tell them that your name is learn to spell. (laughs) It'd be ironic if they spelled that wrong. Indeed. Indeed. But it's just a pleasure to be on this show. I'm I'm filling in for Justin. Uh, I hope I do well. I'm kind of nervous. I've never been on a podcast before. So, all right, I'll, <laughs> I'll walk you through this, all right? Um, all right, if you notice, today we are just a couple of floating heads and torsos out in the interwebs amongst the uh, plethora of anti-Donald Trump articles and cat videos. And today... I, I'm just going to say the cat videos are pretty cool. Um, I, I'm not going to say whether or not I, I approve of the other articles, but we just won't <laughs> go there. Welcome to the uh, Double J Political Podcast. Hashtag just kidding. All right, today in the news, we have a new Justice League photo. And uh, if you notice, these photos that they keep popping up, they keep, you know, you go online and say, new Justice League photo revealed. And it's just a picture of them not doing anything. They're just standing there. They're just standing there. They're like, hey, let's uh, let's, let's, let's put some steam coming out of this door here. and Maybe they're going to just like retrofit into like a teen high school movie or something like that, where they're all just standing by the lockers. They're all like moody teenagers. Power Power Rangers is already coming out. So, I mean, I think we'll get our fill of that. Although if you have DC movies reputation right now, you may be a moody teenager. Mm, this is true. This is true. So I, you know, I don't know why they keep feeling the need to do this. Like they're, I mean, they didn't have any Super Bowl spots, so maybe they're just trying to uh, say, hey, you know, our movie's still coming out because I know Wonder Woman got uh, was already being bashed by a film critic. So well, it, it didn't test well. I heard that, but I think as well, I, I was kind of surprised that there was no Super Bowl spot. I thought that was a misstep on DC's part. I know there was conveniently an international trailer that released hmm, right around the time the Super Bowl was coming on. So actually the next day. Hey, but that me. was a really cool trailer. It was a really cool trailer. Why don't you spend the cash? Warner Brothers got some cash. All their movies haven't been a failure. And even, you know, I know you guys have gone back and forth in regards. And it wasn't really a financial failure as far as the DC movies are concerned. So, I mean you know, 700 million, 800 million respectively for the two DC movies last year. So you need to spend that kind of money to make 
if you really have faith in Wonder Woman, that tells me right there they may not have the highest of faith in Wonder Woman. And that's pretty sad because Wonder Woman, at least from the trailers I've seen, is probably the best looking movie of the three. And even to me, even more so than Man of Steel as well, which I know you like, but I wasn't as, as high on. But I, I like I said, Wonder Woman, I think from a trailer standpoint, looks really good right now. Well, it looks like it jumps across genres. Like, you know, you have your war film, you have your fantasy film, you have your, uh, you know, teenage wet dream on there. So it's like, it's, you really had just a, a good dose of everything. And how much does it cost to put a commercial on the Super Bowl? About 30 million, if I'm correct? 30 to 40 million. Yeah, depending on how long. Do you want the 30 second spot or a full one minute? Or sometimes even companies go to two minutes. And then I know uh, as far as you, you, like for the instance, the infamous 84 lumber commercial, that's a whole, if you look on their, their website, that's a whole five minute, you know, promo right there. But it's, you know, you, for, for a movie like that, you have to spend the money to reaffirm that faith that people, uh, you know, general audiences may have lost in you with the critical failures that were Batman versus Superman and also as well, Suicide Squad. So you need to go ahead and show them this product if you're really behind it. And since they didn't put it on the biggest showcase where there's over 100 million eyes looking at those TV sets, that tells me right there that, uh, that they may not have the highest of faith in the film. And that's to me, truly disappointing. Uh, for me, if they, if if the, the makers of Baywatch had the money to put a trailer on the Super Bowl, I think that Warner Brothers could have at least put some sort of DC thing up there. Exactly. Could not have said it better myself. Um, all right. Next in the news, speaking of DC, uh, Mr. Affleck has officially stepped down from directing the new Batman film. But I don't know. Is this good news that he is still going to play Batman? What 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 did what how what do you think of his performance in Batman vs Superman? Well, it, it, he was there. I don't think his character was written very well. Um, I think he a lot of the times being a bystander to everything that was going on, except for you know the scenes where he interacted with just regular mortals, uh, was kind of disappointing. I, I wanted him to be more involved in spoilers. Uh, the the boss fight that uh, Wonder Woman and Superman were battling against. And he just seemed sort of like he was just observing like a voyeur or whatnot. You know, I want to be, I want to be part of it too. I want to be part of it too. And just, he could not. And it was just kind of disappointing that, that he didn't, uh, uh, you know, his character wasn't a part of that movie. So I don't know. uh, I I don't know. I just think that Affleck's Batman, excuse me, is not as, as, been made as strong of a character as previous Batmans. I think Christian Bale's Batman, even though he had a lot of frailty and a lot of brooding and and you know a lot of disappointments going on, he was made to eventually to be a stronger Batman than what what Affleck is has been made out to be. Even Keaton's Batman, to me, to an extent, was was made even stronger, which is you know the hard part to fathom is because Affleck is, uh, you know, physically uh, a taller and larger individual than either of those two, which, uh, you know, kind of strikes me funny as well. So I, I, I am just hoping that his character can get a new fresh breath of life with the justice league movies. So 
a new series of Batman movies can actually get off on the right foot because if he's not made more, if he's not more of a central focus in the justice league movies, then really there's really no point into making a new Batman series with him and under the cowl. It's funny too, that you mentioned uh, Christian Bale and Chris Nolan's Batman, because that's according to Kevin Smith, that's one the reason that during his uh, Fat Man on Batman show or podcast, he said he thinks that that's the reason Affleck stepped down from the thing is because he everyone keeps comparing his Batman to Christian Bale, and he doesn't think that he can live up to the that kind of pressure on him. Well, from a directorial standpoint, I know his recent outing was not the most spectacular, but he's got a track record of, of Academy Award winning films from a directorial standpoint. I'm surprised that he stepped down from an acting standpoint. If he was truly intimidated by the role, I would have thought he would be stepping down from there. I think it's a deal where it either like he's honestly said that it might be too much in this case to do both, to juggle both on such a high profile film because him doing it in Argo and him doing it, you know, in the town with considerably less funds needed to make those films and considerably less pressure to make those films may have helped his cause in, in being able to juggle both. But when you consider you're going to do a $250 million film and you're trying to be both director and star I can understand why he may have stepped down because of that. But if there's any other reason that it really doesn't make sense to me, because if he's, if he's actually intimidated by the previous versions and iterations of Batman, then he wouldn't be doing the, you know, Batman film at all, period. Yeah. And in, in his defense, if you think about all like the Academy award winning directors, like it, look at Martin Scorsese, what do you think the odds are of him being able to successfully direct a major superhero movie? About the same chance he has of, of having right. silence uh, become a hit. <laughs> or Shutter Island being good. Yeah. Well, it's good when it's on USA or sci-fi because it you know seems to go there a lot. And you can change the channel. True. Uh, okay, well, let's move on. Um, next in the news, we have Mission Impossible 6 is looking to film in Paris. My question to you, Gerald, is why is this news? Well, this is news because there was some rumblings that you know, Mr. Cruz didn't like his paycheck for the movie. So I know there was some negotiation, some renegotiation that was made in regards to the movie. So obviously they found a number he kind of likes. And let's put it this way. If you want a good four to six hundred million worldwide, you know, that's that's the movie you put out. It costs make put the cost around a hundred, hundred twenty-five million. It makes four like I said, it makes four to six hundred million, especially worldwide. It, the the Mission Impossible movies seem to translate very well, no matter how good or bad they are over the years. So it's probably a, you know the reason why it took you know, uh, a little bit of time getting the production underway in the first place was because of, of Mr. Tom Cruise and his paycheck. I know Jeremy Renner, you know, he, his schedule is going to be very heavy, but he's not as important in the mission impossible world, obviously by a long shot as compared to, you know, Tom Cruise, AKA Ethan Hunt. So I think it was a matter of, of the fact that 
they had delayed in, in shooting because of the renegoti- renegotiation of his contract. Do you think, though, that people are over Mission Impossible? Because you're looking at six movies, and they're all kind of the the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, like, I loved the first two Mission Impossibles just because they... I love the number two, even though it's corny as heck, you know, I thought that, you know, obviously uh, the director um, who, you know, directed so many of Chow Yun-Fat's movies, uh, I I thought that was, stylistically, it was really a cool movie. I mean, yes, it was corny as heck, but, you know, with all the chimera, you know, disease as far as that's concerned, but I really enjoy that movie out of all of them. But I've enjoyed all of them, period. Uh, but I think uh, number two is my favorite, even though critically I think it's considered the the worst. Uh, but they all, like you said, seemingly do the same things. Okay, he gets motivated, he gets broken down, he gets captured or he gets beaten up or something, life and death, whatnot. Then dun, 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 you know, and then he has to go and become Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, you know, and all that. So it's pretty much the same formula every time but audiences are still eating it up and i would have said i agree with you before the last one came out but i i kind of like last one too and you know he does that stun outside the plane deal you know that was you know people went went off on that stuff when they saw it so on the trailer so he they still seem to find a way to keep his character fresh enough to be attractive to audiences and as long as you can do that hey they'll take the 400, 600 million worldwide every single time. Right. No, I agree with that. And I think that they are smart in bringing on like new, newer actors onto the franchise because that they wouldn't be able to do some of the stuff that they've been doing without these really like, uh, important characters like, uh, Oh shoot. I can't remember his name. Uh, Jerry, well, you have Jeremy Renner and then you have uh, the guy from, Oh man, I'm having a brain fart. The guy from Shaun of the Dead, uh, Bing Rames, not Bing Rames. Uh, the guy from Star Trek. What is his? Oh, Zachary Quinto. No, not uh, the guy from Star. Uh, the guy from. Well, um, oh, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Yes. Why could I not remember that name? Yes. But but Bing Rames. He's also involved as far as you know Luther as the character that yeah. he's involved with. But I mean. You bring them all back; they all want a paycheck. It's, it's as long as, like I said, it's going to go at least one more. And if it does well enough, he's going to do it until you know. Hey, Liam Neeson did taken well into his his sixties, so if he can do it well into his sixties, why can't Tom Cruise? That's true. That's true. Have you seen new pictures of Liam Neeson? He's actually looks like he's kind of aging a little bit. Yeah, I think time. Nobody can defeat time. It's undefeated. Uh, and, yeah, Russell Crowe, false. Russell Crowe can defeat time. No, Looks like I he don't think not. Russell Russell Crowe. He has, has not aged in like ten years. I kind of disagree with you on that one. <laughs> He looks a little bit different now these days playing Dr. Jekyll than he did when he was winning Academy Award for for Gladiator, but that's just me. It, am I the only one? Like, I feel like sometimes I'm the only person who liked Robin Hood. Anytime people mention like uh, Russell Crowe movies, they never mention Robin Hood. But my, I, wife, my wife was watching it today. I love that movie. Like, I feel like it's a an unofficial 
sequel to Kingdom of Heaven. So I will watch both of those movies right in a row because I love them both. Well, it's much better than the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. I will give you that. (laughs) All right. Next in the news, we have Peter Jackson's next film. The Mortal Engines is going to start shooting this spring in, surprise, surprise, New Zealand. Um, It is based on a series of books by Philip Reeve, which I have not read, but the books have won several awards, including the Guardian of Children's Fiction Prize, Los Angeles Times Book Award, the Smarties Gold Award, and Blue Peter Book of the Year. And do you know anything about this? All I know is his track record is very sketchy when you're not saying Lord of the Rings with it. So, and even though the Hobbit series was never, it's never going to be as critically lauded or held up in the same standard as the Lord of the Rings movies uh, trilogy was. You know what? Those three movies of The Hobbit still made a pretty much a billion dollars each. So you've got a $6 billion franchise that you've walked away from until they can figure out how to get more rights from the Tolkien family. But that's another story. His record outside of it with King Kong and everything else uh, that he's done outside of Lord of the Rings features have been very sketchy. So I do not hold any confidence in, in what he's doing. So I am excited to see what he's going to be, you know, telling in the story, the retelling of the, the novel and whatnot. I don't know much about it like you, but like you, like I said, I don't hold much confidence in his abilities outside of the Lord of the Rings realm because the fact he's still familiar with that realm, he became so immersed with that realm. That's why he could create billion dollar films there. But the problem is now that he's outside of that bubble, what happens then we've seen before what happens and it's been to mixed results. So I'm kind of eager to see like, you know, maybe like you would want to watch a car crash as you drive by, but you know, I'm telling you right now that, that Peter Jackson, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I, I know it sounds like I'm not, but I'm rooting for him because I, I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan uh, as far as that's concerned. So I do appreciate his work immensely there. And I'd like to see hopefully his skills, translate into something outside of that universe and maybe this will be it because uh, at some point in time you got to be able to to hold your standard to something other than just what you're known for right and i think that with uh peter jackson he needs the right source material so you have you have filmmakers who are good at making certain type of certain types of movies so if you look at the wachowskis they were good at making movies that were confusing and had some really cool gunfights, the matrix. Um, and everything they did outside of the matrix has just been pure garbage except for, uh, well, not garbage. I, re- I respect the process that went into making it, but they, they just, they haven't been applauded much by people. Much of it has been garbage. Let's, let's just cut. The- <laughs> uh, I, I, their Netflix series, super eight though, has actually been not super eight. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just not thinking of titles today. Uh, uh, don't, don't worry about. Well, uh, but unfortunately, I was really stoked for the one with Sense uh, Eight. Sense Eight. That's what I'm talking about. Sense Eight on Netflix. I was the one that was really stoked for the movie with uh, Tom Hanks and Halle Berry. I really thought that was going to be, you know, a really great movie with the concept of Cloud Atlas, and and taking it from that adaptation and 
once I saw it on screen, uh, it was just that that was a car wreck. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to watch a car wreck, go watch Cloud Atlas because those two brilliant actors put in exactly a wrong situation. And, and unfortunately that that's what happens. And the Wachowskis since matrix for me, you could see the steady decline going down, down, down. I'm hoping for both of them that they will go back up, up, up. And I'm hoping that they'll, they'll get a break and, and be able to recapture that magic that they did in 1999 with the matrix. Yeah. And if you want to talk about literal car crashes, Speed Racer was another one that I was really hoping would be good, but didn't end up being that good. No. Beautiful to look at. Very beautiful to look at. I will tell you that right now. But then the, the acting happened. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that with, like I was saying with Peter Jackson, I think that he's so used to making, uh, you know, epic films. I don't, I think that King Kong was kind of outside of his genre. So if, if, uh, you know, these, these books or, or these new movies, the mortal engines are, you know, epic in any way, I, I feel like he could probably handle it. Like if there's some big war scenes, that's what people like to go see Peter Jackson films for is the, uh, the epic war scenes, the, uh, swords clashing you know like like you know like we mentioned we don't know much about this book series but their synopsis is this in a world set in a world many thousands of years in the future earth cities no, no, now no, you gotta you gotta do the voiceover man you gotta <clears throat> set set in a voice in the future set in the future set in a world many thousands of years in the future Earth cities now roam the globe on huge wheels, devouring each other in a struggle of forever diminishing resources. On one of these massive traction cities, Tom Natsworthy has an unexpected encounter with a mysterious young woman from the Outlands who will change the course of his life forever. Yes. See, now I want to see it. Just it, because it, that's the it, way you read it. The voiceover. Okay. I, it, I think it's all about the voiceover. I'm, Take it I'm from someone who does voiceovers. <laughs> I'm going to read the books and I'm going to record an audio book of them. And then I'm going to fund this movie for Peter Jackson. Yes. Well, um, turn into your GoFundMe page today for Josh Peterson and Humanica Media. Hashtag, you know, whatever you want to say there. Um, there you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, next in the news, The Conjuring is getting another spinoff. Uh, the film will be titled The Nun. And, you know, if you can't guess from the title what the movie's about, then you probably shouldn't go to watch it. Uh, it will be the second spinoff in the franchise after Annabelle. And I, my question to you, Gerald, is why do they feel the need to make spinoffs? Because the originals are already good. So why not just keep making more Conjuring movies? Because they want to make sure that they don't bleed that one into the ground quite yet. You know, they don't want to you know, wring all the juice out of that baby just yet. Um, so when it comes to the Conjuring, they like the name. They want to associate, people associate things that they're familiar with on a lot of occasions and conjuring is something that they're familiar with that has done really well. You know, I noticed uh, box office mojo, for instance, when you're talking about the conjuring, what movie is switch being compared to is um, as far as a uh, split, I'm sorry, split is being compared to split is being compared to the conjuring as far as how well the success is because 
it's mirroring the the success of the conjuring as far as number one or two is concerned so you've created a hit series you want to do everything in your power as a studio to go ahead and you know take bites of that apple from that series and one way you do it is by branching off into many different avenues of that world and that universe because if you think it's plentiful like pop culture cosmos you know pop culture cosmos is you know done very well for us uh, every monday night 10 30 eastern 7 30 pacific on the podcast radio network and eight other eight other audio outlets hashtag shameless plugging that's correct so what did we decide to do? We decided to branch that off as far as, you know, all these shows that we do and, and you know, to see if we can go ahead and try and at least get people familiar with all these other products based off of that fact that it's related in some form or fashion to one central product. And he, they're going to do the same thing here with The Conjuring is they're going to create The Nun and, like you said, Annabelle and Timbuktu and whatever, Fido, whatever they're going to do next as far as it's concerned, they're going to try and attach it on to that universe because of the name brand value that it has. There, In the next Conjuring, the ghost will be a boot, and then they will have a spinoff called The Boot. There you go. And then people will be like, what's this movie about? It's about a boot. What do you think? I don't want to know where it goes. <laughs> did you see annabelle though did you see that one no no i i kind of shied away from you know what some of those low budget horror movies really click with me like don't breathe and whatnot but some of them they look like low budget horror movies and i just cannot get with it you know um a cabin by the lake was really good because that was just you know it, it was one thing and then it totally became another um but yeah, some of those lower budget horror movies—they're made to a certain audience. They're packaged to a certain audience in a certain way, and if you don't conform to it, that's okay because there's a certain select audience that will always go and continue to see it. Yeah, no, the, well, you know, teenagers especially love those things. Uh, but Annabelle was not only was it low budget, but it was really it didn't make any sense. They really just it feels like one of those movies where you're like, okay, they really just wanted a paycheck here. There wasn't really any thought went into the story. There wasn't, there's no, not really like any effects. It's really just a doll going from one place to the next, not even walking. They're just doing quick shots of the doll sitting in a chair, doll sitting across the room, uh, someone flying out of a window and then, Oh, Hey, we're in the basement of this building. Let's throw some spooky noises in there. There's not really anything in it that makes it worth watching. But this, see, that's the the trap that you know a lot of sequels fall into and things of that nature because they're so successful with one movie and they branch out either with a sequel or or whatnot. You know, Final Destination had what seven, eight movies, and you know, and by the time you saw the first two, it was like I'm done. But they still made many more because there was still an audience that just ate it up. And just, you know, no matter how basic and rudimentary the story was, same thing with Annabelle. You know, they just wanted to pass it off on, you know, people as far as the concern. And they wanted just, okay, here's what The Conjuring did right. We'll take some bits of that and then we'll just throw it out there at a cheap price and there you go. So a lot of times that's what happens. I mean, that's – it's safe. And I, I don't want to – like I said, I've come out really negative at times on this show and I apologize for doing so. but 
it's when you're talking about the business of movies, a lot of times you're just, these companies just want to do the safe thing. They don't like to take chances. That's why you see so many of the same ideas refurbished over and over and over the same films that you saw 20 years ago, redone again and reimagining it because they're safe when they're brought as safe far as and soulless. Well, safe and soulless, but if you're running the company, you know, if we're going to Josh Studios and you're sitting there in in the boardroom at the end of the, you know, with a big chair out there and you're, I'm trying to pitch the, the movie to me, am I going to pitch the dream concept that I have that might cost a lot of money, but could potentially be a big hit? Or am I going to pitch to you first the solid safe with a lot of budgetary constraints that we know that there's a fixed audience for. I honestly, I would produce a movie called the pop culture cosmos about a Fox who drives around and oh wait, star Fox. Never mind. Um, back <laughs> to the drawing board. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I get that. And I think that's why the future of the film industry is going to be going to indie filmmakers because they're, they're not constrained by, you know, corporations or uh, budgets or, I mean, like obviously well, they're constrained by budgets, but. Well, no, 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 no. This is not a new concept here. Movie companies, as we talked about before the show, movie companies have been reaching out and grabbing and nabbing independent directors for a long time now because, you know, back in the old days, independent directors wanted to stay independent. They it's fair. Cool. They, thought it was, they thought it was, they thought they were in and be able to have the creativity doing their own product. Now these days, independent a lot of independent directors. I don't want to say all independent directors because there's a lot of independent directors that want to make their films, make their little films that get nabbed, and they because they want the paycheck and they want the higher opportunity, and not just the paycheck is concerned. They want the bigger challenge of of trying to weigh in. Uh, with their vision on one of these big multi-million dollar projects. And sometimes it pays off. You know, obviously, J.J. Uh, Abrams is one of the success stories uh, that, that comes to mind immediately. But there's a, a, a line in the sand as far as some, some strewn directors that, you know, had really cult independent hits that tried bigger, you know, shoes to fill and unfortunately could not fill those needs. This is the uh, Gerald Hayes James Gunn podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I didn't say that. <laughs> you know, I, I, let's not go there. I, I didn't say that per se. I mean, that's he's a quality director uh, as well as, I mean, obviously it speaks volumes what he's doing right now. So, but the, you and I both seen, in, at least in the past 20 years, where there's independent directors that have succeeded and have now are big name directors in their own right. And that there's others that just weren't able to meet up with the challenge. Uh, you know, it's just that that's the case. And that's pretty much the case as far as. Are we, are we talking about Fantastic Four? Josh, Josh Trank. Yeah. Well, there you about? go. That's a classic example, but then again, that's really how you have to evolve yourself as a director anyway. So you have to start small before you go big. You just don't automatically get those big projects. Uh, it's, you know, you, you have to start with, with smaller projects first. So, well, you know, virtually all the directors that, that, you know, are now marketable on today's stage, even your favorite as far as Mr. Villeneuve uh, with the arrival and the upcoming Blade Runner sequel and the Dune sequel uh, remake that's coming out, you know, he obviously, you know, cut his chops on some smaller films 
you know, before he got, was given the chance to, to do the arrivals. So him and, and so many others, they are given the chance at a smaller end to go ahead and be built up higher. So it's the way the movie industry is at this point in time. And like I said, it's a feast or famine. You just got to make sure you get, when you are taking those projects that you read them and that they actually be able to envision it and actually be a good movie when they plan that out. Right. No, it's, it's a, uh, it's a vicious cycle and yeah, no, any, anytime money's involved, you can have the pe- people who are like, I'm an artist. Hey, we're going to offer you $5 million. I'll take it. Well, Josh, your director, as far as Ghost Toasters, is is your project as far as that, because that's your baby, and you control every aspect of that operation. What if, let's say, Warner Brothers comes in and asks you to make the next DC movie? It's not going to be under all your control. There's writers, there's producers, executive producers, there's actors with certain clauses. Uh, there's so many, you know, cinematographers. There's there's set individuals. There's executives. There there's so many different factors now that are going to be looming in that may hinder your directorial process. So it's it's a harder job indeed. It's nice, obviously, the benefits if the movie succeeds. That's that's tremendous. But you know, I don't I don't uh, envy directors that that are going to take up the big chair like that because it is definitely a big responsibility, and it's a lot of times it's a no win situation. Yeah, no, I, I guess you're right there. You're right. Um, I, I like like Marvel, for example. Like they have made a habit of hiring indie directors, and for the most part, they've worked out pretty well, from what I see. But like, I can see someone like Josh Trank kind of caving from the pressure, and you know, it, it's hard to know too, like what goes on behind closed doors. Um, but uh, yeah, well, we can probably have a whole other podcast on this subject for now. Maybe we should get back to the news here. Michael Bay has stated that Transformers... The and last then there was Michael Bay. And then there was Michael Bay. Throw another lens flare on there. Um, he stated that the, the no, last that was night... JJ, that was J.J. Abrams. Hey, they're both kind of like equally guilty of it. Like everything Michael Bay does has lens flares. Even like underground, you're like, where the heck is the sun coming from? There's well, no- Michael Bay, though, I'm too busy looking at all the d- death and destruction that's all around. And it's going so mind-blowingly fast. J.J. Abrams is a fast director. Let's just put it that way. His films, if you notice, are really fast. But you're still able to keep up. The thing with uh, well, go ahead, go ahead with what you're saying in the news because I, I think it's going to lead into what I have to say. Um, he says that this will be his final Transformers film, but it, it sounds like they didn't really know. Like, if I don't, you, you you probably saw the promos. Optimus Prime is a bad guy, um, and you know I'm sure there's more to it than that. But he was saying, I'm reading this article here, and they they really didn't know where to go with this story. Like they had. I'm looking pro- over 10 writers involved that Akiva Goldsman, uh, Matt Holloway, Ken Nolan, Zach Penn, Lindsay Beer, uh, Geneva Robertson, Christina Hodson. And so, and the, the list of Steven, even Steven day Knight had a little part in it. So do you think that they are really running out of originality? Do you think that's why Michael Bay is jumping ship? Cause there's no doubt that these movies have earned him just like buckets and buckets of money. Yeah, but it's the audience that sees it. The audience that sees it just wants to see, you know, destruction and Autobots changing and whatnot. They don't care about the story. Do you remember? Does anyone actually out there remember the stories to any of the previous Transformers? I'm still waiting. 
and I'm still waiting for the answer. Even when you watch it on FX for the for the 15th time, you still don't know what the story is. It's either Marky Mark or, you know, Megan Le- Fox. Or, or Megan Fox or Shia LaBeouf uh, running from something, destruction, 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 moving at 200 miles an hour, which is a great way to camouflage the fact that you don't have a story. Or, you know, and nobody needs to worry about acting either because you're moving 200 miles an hour. That's a brilliant ploy by Michael Bay. Whether or not it makes him a good director, that's a different story. But it, it's a, you know, a great ploy to camouflage your movies with so much mind-blowing action and done so fast, so quickly, the audience can never keep up. But as, it, you know, as a visual treat, it's you know, pretty much second to none, which is the reason why it has garnered so much money, especially from an international audience that may not be able to always um uh extrapolate you know th- what what's always being said on on screen uh, because you know language barriers and things even with even with translations on screen and whatnot that sometimes american movies do not translate well overseas for for obvious reasons and you know what the transformers make buku bucks overseas especially in the far east especially in the china because they don't have to worry about that they're just mind-blowingly fast they show a lot of destruction they show a lot of transformers changing they know where their their bed is made and they keep on doing it over and over and over and more power to them for doing that because at the end of the day you're not worrying about making an oscar-winning film you're just worrying about making a film that's going to be nice popcorn fun now, him leaving just tells me, you know, it's obviously not a money issue because he's going to make another probably $1 billion or close to it off this movie as far as the the actual generating revenue. He won't make it personally, but you know, you get the idea that the movie will. What the thing is, is just that with this movie, it might be his last is because he may be just tired of doing it. It's obviously done at a hectic pace. It's obviously done with, you know, uh, you know, obviously, each time a very high budget as far as a lot, a lot of CGI is done and whatnot. But he just may be tired of doing it because it's not from, not because of a money standpoint. It's it's apparent and plain to see. He may just want a different challenge. But even his other movies, the Bad Boy series or whatnot, you, you've he films at a such a high rate of speed. Maybe that translates into real life that it's it's very hard to keep up that constant high pace. Do you think that directors like actors get typecasted? I know Michael Bay seems to direct. Oh, he's, he's already been typecasted. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, he I'm makes me saying that differently. And whether that's right or wrong, it's it's maybe wrong from a critical standpoint, but it's certainly right from a if you're if you're counting the bean counter and you're you're in charge of the money for a studio, that's for sure. Right. So I mean, if I were a studio and I was like, hey, we need a movie with awesome explosions and Megan Fox and maybe some robots in there. I would, the first person I would think to ask would be Michael, uh, Michael Bay. Well, and, and that's what studios will say. Okay. If you have this concept, let's say whatever script that you wrote, Josh, and you put out there um, that, that's based off maybe an intellectual property that that's really popular. Let's say halo right here. Okay. Let's say master chief, whatnot, this, that movie's finally going to get made or, and let's say let's run with it, the whole story, whatnot. Are you going to go? Are you more likely to bet on a Michael Bay who has that type of experience, or are you going to go and to a different round with a more critically lauded director, director who may not have that that in his repertoire or resume as of yet? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, no, I I would go with Michael Bay because you know, like like we're talking about Dennis uh, Vill- Villeneuve, like watching him, seeing what he does with Blade Runner is going to be interesting, and Dune especially. Like he he's not. Yeah, I don't know. After but these watching are, these are not fast paced movies. Dune was not a fast paced movie back in the nineteen eighties, and I don't expect this one to be the same. Uh, but Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Blade Runner was not a fast-paced movie either by any stretch of the imagination. But that, it, had, whole, it had some action scenes in it. had some action scenes, but their imagery, the darkness, the the way the lighting was represented, the, the, the pace of the movie as a whole is something Villeneuve can deal with. If you're asking to him to go ahead and direct the next Transformers, I'd be kind of leery because based off the arrival – and what I'm going to see upcoming, most likely from Dune and Blade Runner, I might be hesitant to to put him on the on the camera for that one. Right, right. Um, so you know, there, there's direct, I mean, JJ Abrams. JJ Abrams would would be my first candidate to to film the next Transformers movies because he also films big budget movies at a very fast pace when that's translated on screen at a very quick pace. Star Trek was fast. Star Trek into darkness was fast. Star Wars, the force awakens was fast. So I'm used to seeing they're, they're fast. He's a fast director, but everything he does is really fluid. So you watch a Michael, uh, Michael Bay movie and everything's really quick. Jump cuts, jump cut here, jump cut here. Even the scenes that have like a, a pan across the screen have like a hundred things going across them at once. I want to tell you, J.J. Abrams movies, the past three movies have stood up far better on a critical standpoint, leagues ahead of Michael Bay. I will not give you that. I love Star Trek, love Into Darkness. uh, And I, and I really, I thought, uh, you know, Star Wars Force Awakens was a solid movie. My review is available. You can see it on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And you can see it there. I gave it a pretty solid score, even though, and it is. But I mentioned it is a thrill ride. So they're both, even though they both film their films are very quick paced. Um, he does able to seem be- to do better when it comes to putting in a, like you said, a cohesive storyline in place. Yes, yes. So, all right. Next in the news. Uh... The first poster for Captain Underpants has appeared online. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about those graphic novels there, but the movie has been in production since 2011, and it's based on the novels which were published in 1997. So I have a question for you. What is it about these old children properties that studios are finding so appealing? Do you think it's the idea of, hey, maybe we can have the next – Harry Potter, like the same phenomenon that, you know, captured the imagination of the world. Do you think that's why they're going back to like scholastic and, uh, you know, I don't know who else makes children books, but, but I don't think it's, it's necessary Harry Potter, but it's, um, Oh gosh. Um, I'm blanking on the, the children's series that came out. Oh, diary of a wimpy kid. If you get that, that's golden because that made Buko bucks at the box office. I think that's what people are, 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 these studios are targeting. They're not targeting to make the next Harry Potter unless they actually have a series that has that familiarity with audiences. If you're going back with captain underpants, then you're looking more to see if, uh, if that story 
can be translated into something that might make similar money to like, like I said, diary of a wimpy kid, because that did, did very nicely at the box office, created a sequel and whatnot. So, and actually, actually a lot, you know, big story as far as you go to the library and you go to the bookstore and you see a ton of diary wimpy kids. There, there you go. I, I, I could see that if done properly, that this could be another success along those lines. Yeah, and it's too, like, I don't know if you've read the books, your kids have read the books, but it's kind of an odd property to make a movie out of, but it's also full of potential for laughs. They might be cheap laughs because the villain is named Professor Poopy Pants, and there's a lot of fart jokes in there. So, you know, and farts are always funny. Like, don't 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 try to say that they're not. Like, anyone listening to this says who says a fart's not funny. If they hear one in public, they're going to laugh. I mean, it's just farts are cheap well, the, laughs. Uh, the superhero movie with Paul Rubens playing that character. If you remember um, with Ben Stiller. And do you, do you remember which one that was? Oh, uh, mystery men. Yes. Yeah, that's the correct. Spleen. Yes. Uh, that's correct. I mean, case in point right there. Yeah. Uh, that provided a, a, a couple of jovial moments right there. Yeah, because that was uh, really an underrated movie, in my opinion. I, I've seen it twice. I was blanking on the name because I hadn't seen it in a long time. But I think that that was a movie that that you know used those fart jokes at timely points and actually did it very well. Yeah, they did. And it, it it was a funny movie. It's underrated. People, not a lot of people I've talked to have seen that movie. But Captain Underpants, pretty much the whole thing, if I remember the books correctly, is going to be a very long fart joke. So I just hope that they handle it tastefully. Like minions has its fart jokes in there, but it's, it's still like funny and it's, Oh yeah. You can't rely on it. It has to be something that builds up to a dramatic point where it's needed to make it funny and amusing. But if it's used in overdose, yeah. Audiences will, you know, shine off on it real quick. Right. And, uh, you know, next on the fart podcast, the fart cast is, uh, Kevin Smith has announced a new Jay and Silent Bob film. Um, There will no longer be Clerks 3 because one of the main characters opted out. I'm thinking that it's Randall, but I am not 100% sure. Um, Let's see, we got some some stuff here. Kevin Smith had hoped to make a sequel to his 1995 film Mall Rats, which would have been titled Mall Brats, but he doesn't actually own the rights to any of his New Jersey trilogy of films, which consists of Clerks, Small Rats, Dogma, Chasing Amy, Clerks 2, and he couldn't get the funding for a film. So I don't know if you read those, the stories that he was shopping around with like HBO stars, all these different companies, but nobody really wanted to take a chance on it. So I, I ask you this, do you think that people aren't interested in, it's just because that type of movie has had its time and nobody, they're afraid people might not be interested in it anymore? I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think uh, it was something that was awesome in the 1990s, and I don't think it meets very much the same thing unless you want to show over 40-year-old men doing it. Um, I don't really have much of an interest for a new Jay and Silent Bob because seeing them as nearly 50-year-old men just wandering around with the same get-ups on is I just don't know how you're going to make that and translate that into to a positive thing for audiences. And Kevin Smith, even though he's really a you know a great individual from what I'm able to ascertain, 
at what I've seen. He's, he's, you know, obviously he does a lot for the, the pop culture community out there with all the stuff that he does and he embraces it. And he's a, I, I just truly love the fact that he's very public with as far as, um, fandom as far as certain, you know, superheroes and his knowledge of, of, you know, the different sci-fi and, and, and different pop culture things that and comic book things that are out there. I love that fact that he's so into it still and that he's so vocal about it. That part I enjoy real quickly, but from a logistical standpoint, you got to ask yourself what Kevin Smith movie has really done well within recent times is he's done. He's been more successful with his smaller TV uh, projects as far as with AMC. He's directed episodes of the flash and things of that nature than he has been on the big screen as of late. I, I may be blanking on something that he's done very well or that he's actually gained uh, quite a bit of financial success with uh, in re- recent times. If you can enlighten me on them, I, I'd like to know because I, I, to my memory off the top of my head, I, I'm not remembering anything that he's made that's uh, done very well. You know, Tusk or whatnot. I just can't his, remember. His it. last two movies, uh, Tusk and Yoga Hosers, they didn't even really get a wide release. I know they were in some theaters, and then they hit video on demand. They they played at film festivals, but I I don't think they got wide release. I don't think a lot of people even know knew that he made those movies. So you know, I I just it's hard to uh, you know let people know you're out there if your movies aren't being marketed to people. And I think with uh, with Mallrats, it it hasn't re- it has a cult following, but it's not something that a lot of people know about. Even people like you know in their twenties and thirties, I asked, "Have you seen Mallrats?" and they they don't know what it is. Like even back in the day, like it was a pretty uh, you know low budget film, and pe- people people don't like movies from the nineties. I don't know why that is, but those, I think that some of like the best pieces of cinema have been from like John Hughes and. Uh, you know Kevin Smith, and they, they just don't have a romantic feel about it the way that the eighties. Um, some it just seems to be that that whole decade, the two decades actually, the the nineties and the early party of this century, just seems that there's not as much love for those two decades. Maybe because they're the most recent ones with with millennials and audiences. I'm not sure, but you know, people seem to have a love affair with the eighties. But you bring which, up which like, is my, which is my generation, and yes, I, I could. I was very fond of the, all the eighty stuff myself. But there, there's some good things, like you said, with the nineties and two thousands that that happened. But a lot of people seem to have brushed that off. Yeah, but you bring up like cartoons, for example, Hey Arnold, uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Cat Dog, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I'm super proud to be born in there, be a nineties kid. I love everything yeah. that came out of the nineties." I didn't see those. But I saw Ren and Stimpy, and Ren. I saw and I saw also the beginnings of of South Park uh, when that came out because I believe it came out in ninety eight ninety nine. Am I correct? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So and then obviously the Simpsons, which to me was very entertaining at that time. Fifty thousand years later, maybe not as much, but anyways, that's another issue. But Ren and Stimpy, you know, I, I was I was really enjoying that, and that was something I watched as an adult. Uh, saw. I do have some some fondness for some you know pop culture during that time, but it is not. I could, I could tell you right now, this 
my fondness for things in those decades is not as much as it was when in, in the 80s, which, you know, was me growing up at that point in time. But it seems to be for a lot of people my age, late 30s, early 40s, even late 40s and early 50s seem to have a more fondness towards the 80s decade. Yeah, and people, I think because nostalgia, people love nostalgia. Nostalgia sells movies, but people often don't know what to be nostalgic about, or they'll claim to be nostalgic about something that they never knew existed in the first place. And that's where it kind of, it, it kind of gets me. Well, but back to Kevin Smith, like Kevin Smith, what I've always liked about him is that he, he never admit he like, he's not, he knows that he's not like a big Hollywood director. He knows he's not like great at it, but he embraces that like lower circuit of filmmaking. And that's why I've always like, you know, he, he follows his guts. He has something, he makes a lot of movies that might not be that great, but he, he goes with it. And that's the kind of, you know, creativity, like we were talking about earlier, has been, feels like it's lacking. But yes, again, it's a money thing. So there's that. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we will be talking about Marvel and some box office numbers. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. All right, we're back with the uh, Double J podcast featuring uh, your host, Josh, and uh, Gerald, whose name may or may not be spelled with a J, Jerry. Let's go with Jerry. Jerry. In honor of my father. How about that? Jaundice. No, Jerry's fine. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. So we have some box office numbers here. Uh, Hey, Gerald, would you mind doing the honors of the old... Well, are, we, are we talking about last weekend as far as the box office is concerned? Because that was, yes. I think it was the, you could pretty much say it was the calm before the storm because it was pretty much one of the lowest weekends of the year. It will be counted as one of the lowest weekends of the year because it was just, you know, split was already in its third week and just seeing it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's done Leaps and bounds, much better than anybody thought. Well, uh, M. Night Shyamalan is is now back in good graces with Hollywood again because this movie is now a big hit. Because you know, then because it made uh, over the past weekend, last weekend, uh, fourteen million plus. Uh, where you have Rings coming in second, uh, which is the third movie in the Ring series, and that's it comes in at thirteen million dollars. Uh, which has to be considered a disappointment, even though it's a, a smaller film, smaller budgeted film. Um, it was with that horror genre, like we were talking about earlier, it was supposed to ring in at least one good weekend and couldn't muster that. Um, a dog's purpose, which I can tell you right now got affected by that viral video um, of the, the uh, you know, what you, people could see was abuse of dogs. Uh, of a dog right there on the, on the video that came out conveniently just before its release. Um, it only did 10 million that weekend. It looks like it's at the best. It's going to break even worldwide, which is probably not what was intended. Look like it would probably outside of that video probably would have done more hidden figures, which to me is one of the big, the, the best, one of the best stories so far of the year in, in movies um, as far as what a great story that, that, it goes off, and I'm just so happy for that. This film is it got another 10 million this past weekend, and it's now gone over 120 million domestically. So, so congratulations to them. 
La La Land, which is going to lead the the you know probably you know just gather up all those Academy Awards coming up very soon. That landed in fifth with seven million. That's also garnered over one hundred twenty million in domestically. So you're you're talking about big numbers there. Uh, did you want me to continue with six through ten because it gets more interesting there? Yes, let's talk about six real quick. Resident Evil: The Final Chapter. Did you, uh, did you well, see we, it? I no, saw I, it. I, I had not seen it because I know how um, it's because it started off bad, and I, I judge a lot of the you know should I go see this film off of the first weekend results. Um, you know, I, I see if it's going to be in video sh- rental shortly. So it was a it, bad movie. Well, it's, I, I saw that. I saw the Rotten Tomato score. I've seen a lot of critical reaction to it. Uh, I've seen a lot of social media reaction to it. And when you lose 65% in a second weekend like it did, it tells me that, yeah, it really – like Underworld. And we had a show about this where we talked about Underworld, Resident Evil, and it looks like both might have destroyed um, both their franchises. We thought that the franchises weren't going to end for either, even though they both were saying that they're the final ent- you know, entry. Let's talk uh, about that for a second, though. Resident Evil, the final chapter, they advertise it as being the last. They even have a, like a, a little intro with Mia Jovovich and the director right before the movie starts. And it says, hey, thanks for following us from the start of this franchise and then allowing us to end this franchise. But, spoiler alert, they end the movie making you think that there is going to be another one. So they're like, hey... You know, this is the final chapter, but maybe down the line, if we need some money, we're going to make another one. So well, Sony, Sony has made a billion dollars off the franchise, so they might reach into the well one more time. But they the, shouldn't the, tell people it's the last movie. Then that's my big thing. Like they should have just called it Resident Evil: The Last Chapter. Just kidding. And then, well, you know, it's it, it's all up to Sony from here. But the, those two movies we talked about before how we thought those two movies weren't going to die out, but the performance of underworld, which, you know, pretty much died a horrible death, even as first weekend, just like resident evil has uh, proves to me that even with worldwide numbers thrown in there, that both movies may have killed off their franchises, which at least for now, maybe five, 10 years from now, they'll revisit it. But yeah, for now that both movies, I think the franchises are, done for now speaking of well-placed fart jokes <laughs> something like that it was oh there yeah. you go how about that better um okay seven through ten we got sing which earned about four million dollars lion which earned about four million that's the um that's one also one of the uh, best picture nominees right right and uh the space between us which i was actually i you know don't judge me on this but i kind of want Sorry, uh, just because, because it was a Mars teeny bopper movie, right? It, it, it was an interesting take on that genre. It was, a, as you say, a high school angst movie in Mars. Yes, exactly. When, when's the last time you saw something like that? It, this is like Power Rangers in space minus everything that's cool about the Power Rangers. The one with Harrison Ford, uh, Ender's Game. Yeah, it's a, ironically, it's a, this. I don't know if you call that irony, but it's the same actor, so... Maybe this is maybe the space between us is an indirect sequel to Ender's Game. Maybe he should just stop doing sci-fi movies. <laughs> maybe that's all he could do. So they're like, "Hey, we're going to make this teen romance novel, but uh, we need someone who's been in sci-fi movies." Oh, hey, the guy from Ender's Game. 
Well, it definitely uh, it was an Ender's game for him because that that ended that series real quick. Poor kid. Like I on, I, I saw um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and he was the main character in that one too. And he's just not. I, I know that there is probably a movie out there, much like Hayden Christensen. There's a movie out there that's good for him, but but, uh, but it tells me that that a, his agent is push was has pushed him for a series of time before people have caught on in Hollywood that he was going to be the next it factor that he might be the next hit wonder kid, and you know his agent was really did a good job of trying to put him in those spots. So my props to his agent, no matter the movies might've stunk and, and the studios might now not touch him with a 10 foot pole, but props to his agent, uh, same. So for Taylor Kitsch, you know, the, the agent for Taylor Kitsch, you know, put him in the spotlight to make John Carter and battleship. Now I like you, Taylor Kitsch. I don't know why everyone doesn't like him that much and Hollywood won't cast him, but I like but him. Yeah, that, now he can't now you won't see him on even a video rental movie maybe, but it's uh, you know, you got to give props to those that's all about agencies and and you know, getting behind an actor and saying we're going to push this guy. We're going to put him in front of the studio heads and we're going to say this is the next big ticket. And even if it doesn't work out, you know what? Uh, more props to those agencies for for putting in there in the first, putting those two there in the first place. Because you know, it's, whether or not it doesn't work out, that that's one thing. But at least you're they're put into that situation where they're given a chance to succeed. Right. We, uh, you know, they all just want the opportunity, and a lot a lot of the times, like if they're like you know. My classic example is always Hayden Christensen. I think that a lot of these actors have potential to be really good at what they do. They're just casting the wrong movies. But like you said, it, you know, props to the agency for getting them into these films. But it's either it's kind of like you, if you don't succeed, then it's going to be difficult. Your future in that industry is going to be difficult for you. And. Number 10, we have Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, which made about $3.7 million, totaling in at $40 million. So it'll make back its budget, but it probably no, won't. No, well, actually, it's it's going to – well, when you talk about budget, yeah, it, it's reportedly made close to – you know, production budget was closely around $85 million, but when you consider – you know, also advertising costs thrown in there and whatnot. You're talking about probably, well, that's what I talked, we talked about on last, uh, on our, on a previous time we, we sat down and talked about it's the rule of three and a half. What I, what I learned in Hollywood. I don't know if this is, like I said, scientific or proven, but it's a general, seems to be a general rule of thumb that if your movie may generates worldwide three and a half times what the production budget did, it's, it's most likely that it was considered a hit of some type. Now, mind you, there's international cuts might be different as far as studios, theaters, actor deals. I was actually about to say it opened in China this weekend. Looks like it has hit 153, 155.3 million dollars. So, so it's, it's garnered worldwide, you know, it will probably end its run around 200 million, which Probably won't give a sequel anytime soon, but it won't kill. I don't think it'll kill the franchise off entirely, but I think if it does, if there is another triple X, it's not going to be anytime soon and it won't have Vin Diesel in the role um, or Ice Cube as well. 
I just think it'll be a totally fresh new actor at, at some point in time, but they probably won't touch it for, for quite some time because it's not going to kill it off, but it's not going to exactly, they're not going to be rushing to make another one anytime soon, which, but it big begs the bigger question is Vin Diesel an, an actor you can bank on outside of the fast and furious franchise. I want to hear your thoughts on it. No, I guess it is really Riddick. I like Riddick. I think that he, you know, he is good in that. He, he Vin Diesel really has those certain roles that he's good in. Like, I don't, I don't know if you saw Iron Giant was good. He was good voice actor in Iron Giant, even though he didn't say much. Groot. Yes. He played that tree, that walking tree very well. Uh, Boiler Room. He was not, I don't know that that's just not a movie that I picture Vin Diesel in. It doesn't stick out in my mind. But do you think he's a bankable actor in Hollywood outside of that one film franchise? It depends on the part. Like, you know, like, like I said, like if he, if you want to cast him as somebody who is like an enforcer, like if you want to make a Guy Ritchie-esque movie where he is the guy that walks around with the baseball bat collecting money, then yes, he's a, he's a very bankable actor. It just depends on what he's doing. Like I wouldn't put him in a romantic comedy. No way would I do something like that, or just any type of comedy in general. The pacifier was a disaster. He's he's a he's a bankable actor, depending on what type of role you cast him in. Yes, yes, indeed, because he does have uh, certain attributes that that fit well, like you said, with the right franchise. But it has to be. I, I guess you want to compare him to his co-star in the franchise films, The Rock, but The Rock seems to be able to translate his persona into different films and make them bigger hits. With Vin Diesel, he is still playing Vin Diesel in all of his films. So, you know, that that's part of the point uh, with, with Vin Diesel. It's, you have those actors that can actually blend into the role, and then you have those actors that are just themselves in just a different different scenarios. So that that to me is the difference right there. Yes, there is that. All right, before we get into Marvel, let's uh, go over movies opening this week. Marvel, Marvel. Fanboys are going crazy right now all over the world because we said Marvel. Um, all right, movies opening this week. We got One Night, uh, A United Kingdom, Balu Mahi, Don't Hang Up, Duckweed, Eagles of Death Metal, Nos Amis, I might be saying that wrong, Fifty Shades Darker. I know we talked about that on the pop on the pop culture cosmos. Um, Havenhurst, I Am Jane Doe, John Wick Chapter 2, which we've also talked about, Jolly LLB2, Kidai, Keep Quiet, Mahi NRI, Om Namo Vinkataseya. I'm 100% sure I'm saying that wrong. Running Wild, Sex Doll, uh, Stray Bullets, and the Lego Batman movie. So I think the three heavy contenders are going to be Fifty Shades Darker, John Wick 2, and the Lego Batman movie. Well, I- that's one thing I wanted to talk about, like what we were mentioning before the show. You know, I want to give people some insight here on Josh and how he structures his program. He sends entire lists and scripts and outlines like I did once did as far as when I was doing my game source podcast. Now, these days, you know, when we're about ready to do, a, you know, I'll give you some insight on PCC Multiverse and the Pop Culture Cosmos show. Hey, what do you want to talk about, Gerald? Now let's talk about this, this, and this. 
there you go. Let's just do that. And then we just go on offshoot from there. But uh, with with him and his structured and he and along that structured, it was so brilliant to look at. And you could tell, you know, he's a he's a journalistic major. Shout out to National University um, that that you could see how well structured and poignant it is. And then you get to the movies of this week and it's like this big, long list, you know, that may be playing at four from four theaters playing all the way to, you know, 4000 plus and we really only want to cut down to the three that we're talking about. And we talked about it before, like you said, on the PCC multiverse. Hey, you but, might have somebody who is excited about watching uh, Om Namo Vin Kataseya. You, you don't know. We might have maybe like one listener on the other side of the world. That and is that's, why, like, that's why they created really video on demand. That's why they created video on demand, my friend. But uh, <laughs> no, we, you know, that. From for general audiences, the big this, this to me is one of the 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 first big weekend of the year because you have three solid films coming out as far as maybe one not so critically lauded, but it's still something that's going to be seen by a at least in its first weekend by a a vast majority of audiences. And I can tell you off of Thursday previews that all three are going to have some measure of success financially. And I think, as we talked about before, John Wick 2 could be the actual surprise of all three. And in fact, that it will garner over $20 million this weekend and could even hit $30 million. I, I had said before in the PTC Multiverse show, which you can catch at 4 p.m. Eastern, excuse me, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Podcast Radio Network, I had said that you know, it, that film will do, I think over $20 million because of the good vibes from the previous film that had set it up. Uh, I now think it may even push 30. We'll, we'll have to see. It's just that film, which is still on a low budget as well, is going to do really, really well. I think across the board, I'm just really happy that a good sequel was made with the Lego Batman movie. Uh, I just, I've heard good things about it as well. It's a different take on Batman, not just in a funny sense, but actually the character as a whole and the way they, they pay homages to, but also deep delving deeper than what you would think a Lego movie would do as far as the Batman character is concerned. So I'm excited to see that one as well. I think that one in the long run will be the, of the three, the, the highest grossing of the three. And then you have 50 shades darker, which I know you spoke of so fondly on our last program, (laughs) not, but uh, I think that, you know, if for at least a weekend or two, the first one dropped off like a cliff after the first weekend, but it, you know, $85 million weekend was nothing to sneeze at. And I think you could see really the same scenario here. It might drop off like a rock, but that first weekend is going to be a killer that, that makes it worth its weight in gold. How many, how many couples do you think are going to go to the movies on Valentine's day, expecting to watch 50 shades darker. And then their significant others are going to trick them into going into the Lego Batman movie. Um, if they wish to stay together, it will be not many. Hey, but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't matter because if once you're in that movie theater, you're not going to break up until afterwards. So no, I think the Lego- ladies will break up with you. Then don't ever estimate, uh, <laughs> underestimate the power of a woman telling you where she wants to go and what she wants to do. If she wants to go see Fifty Shades Darker. You will go see Fifty Shades see, Darker. See, that whole concept is backwards to me because Fifty Shades Darker is all about a woman doing what a man wants to do. Are you still single? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but 
I think I, I'm, 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 an, <laughs> I'm an impartial observer. And you will remain one as long as you go ahead and see the Lego Batman movie first before Fifty Shades Dark. I mean, I might as well just hang out at the movie theater. There with you the go. Hello, hello. Yeah. If, if you if dumped you your boyfriend, dump, you can negotiate for a double feature. That's a different story. But you must do Fifty Shades Darker first, as far as that's concerned. You must see it first. And the guys, that that's my tip to you: see Fifty Shades Darker first, or you will not be seeing anything at all. And I'll leave it at that. This has been Romance Talk with Gerald. Um, <laughs> tune in next week. Uh, all right, cool. Well, let's let's talk about Marvel today. So Marvel released a what a, a snippet, a preview of of uh, Avengers Infinity War. They just basically said production started late last month to the surprise of no one. Uh, I just think it's a, a great sign. And they showed a little bit as far as from the set, from I'm assuming where Thanos will initially start off the, the, the basis of where he, you know, his, his plotting uh, and planning out and whatnot. But it showed, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. It showed Chris Pratt and Tom Holland you know, just having a chat, how much they love being part of the franchise. And that was great and whatnot. And then it showed the important people at Marvel behind the scenes, directors, Kevin Feige, uh, the Russo brothers, whatnot, talking about how it's led up to this as far as the Infinity War is concerned. I love the logo. I thought the logo was really, uh, really well done. But if somebody wants to go see it, they should go check it out. Uh, we have it up on our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. If you want to check it out, just scroll down. You'll be able to find it. But uh, it doesn't show you anything that's new from that standpoint outside of the set. But that's not really what it's all about. It's about them gearing up to make this outstanding you know, behemoth of a picture. And it just goes to show you exactly how far and how long the process must take in order to get from point A to point Z. Like for instance, Star Wars, the latest Star Wars episode eight was filmed in the spring or summer of last year. Uh, it started in the, it, it was a summer, right? It, yeah. I, I think it was the summer. Yeah. So it tells you how far. Well, and it also just, you know, gives it all. It also just gives everybody a, a stamp from the standpoint of, you know, in case there is reshoots, which inevitably could happen, you know, for some reason, the directors may not like it or, or the studio may not like what's what's being done. They want some changes done. Rogue One went through that, if I'm not mistaken. You know, Rogue One is heavily rumored to have reshoots involved. And that's why you do it so far in advance on this big budget p- uh, pictures. If it's a TV show, they're done with only weeks in advance. Uh, sometimes some smaller budget movies are only done, you know, a few months in advance. But when it comes to a big budget movie like this, you don't want to do it wrong. So you film it so far in advance so you can see it and whatnot. In fact, you know, we, we I talked about with you before the program in regard in regards to the um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 testing already with audiences as far as in achieving a perfect score so far uh, with audiences, which is a rare th- feat indeed. But they wanted to go re- already go ahead and make sure that that, that movie is at the stage where it's at. So that, I'm sure, has already been shown. In fact, The Last Jedi, uh, Disney's Bob Iger, in the recent uh, call to investors, said he's already seen the movie, The Last Jedi, which, we, sure. also ta- which we also <laughs> talked about. And so th- these movies are already set up ahead of time as far as – and ho- maybe – 
missing maybe some music or whatnot, some maybe some small effects. But for the most part, these movies are ready so far in advance so that the studio can get a better idea of how to market and also if these movies are actually going to be end up being good, which concerns me going back to what we talked about with Wonder Woman. That's funny. I was actually just going to talk about that. Do you think that they're not having test audiences for their DC films? Because not, I mean, it, from what I understand, it doesn't even sound like most of like their studio heads are willing to stand behind like the last few movies. They they go into they start their run in theaters, and before they people come out and say that the movie is bad before you know most people most audiences even see it. So you think there's a problem with marketing there? I think there's a definite marketing issue there because now it seems like they were so high on BVS and a suicide squad that they were marketing in one, one fashion that they're now trying to do with wonder woman that are trying to go into the opposite direction direction and being very careful with that, which may not bring in, uh, you know, the large enough audience that, that should be seeing this film if it's any good, which to me on the surface, I like, I I've liked, like I said before, what I've seen of the, of it. And I really do want to see it. And I'm, I'm just hoping it gets a fair shake from Warner Brothers, and I'm not so 100% sure that it's doing that. And it's with Warner Brothers, they may be a little bit gun-shy about the DC Universe at this point in time. Right, right. And we, you know, we've spoken at length about that multiple times, um, and I'm sure we will have many discussions about it before Wonder Woman hits theaters in March. Am I correct there? Yes, March. Um, All right, so we're going to take one more break. When we come back, I want to wrap things up with just a little bit of talk about the trailers we saw at the Super Bowl, so stay tuned. All right, we're back, and we are going to uh, be finishing up here in a few minutes. But before we go, uh, obviously, you guys have all – hopefully you guys have all watched uh, a lot of the trailers that popped up at the Super Bowl. They're short, little 30-second pieces, but – there were some uh, good tidbits there. They have Baywatch, which I don't know. Gerald, do you have any interest in seeing Baywatch? Because I am not so hot on it right now. I really didn't watch the series. I knew of it. Obviously, you know, you saw the imagery as far as flashing on the screen. and made a ton of money while it was in syndication for, you know, obviously David Hasselhoff and whatnot. The new series, the new movie, excuse me, I – you know, rocks rock went for a paycheck. It looks like to me and, you know, God bless him. He deserves a great paycheck because he, he's entertained audiences for years now. And he, he's such a tremendous, uh, tremendous as far as entertainer, as far as that's concerned. So go for that paycheck. I don't mind at all. It definitely is not something I would want to see in the movies, but if it, if for some reason it's actually thought of as a, as a funny and decent movie, I will catch it on video if it actually turns out to be something worthwhile. I think these studios are trying to capture the glory of 21 Jump Street. It's success and hit among audiences. I think with Baywatch and Chips, especially like Chips looks, it looks like it could be funny, but it looks incredibly stupid. Like it's going, I think it goes overboard. I think Chips goes a little bit overboard on it. I think you're right. I think it goes into that neighbors. I think it goes into that, um, how shall I say the Judd Apatow, um, you know, the Judd Apatow uh, jumped street 21. Um, uh, let's put it this way. Also as well, the, the, uh, 
films that that you know Jonah Hill and and Seth Rogen all do together when they all do those buddy comics, you know, like you know the the World's End um, and whatnot. I think those chips seems to be going over and beyond that with its content and and trying to do many jokes that are you know of a questionable nature which are funny to a point but if you keep on doing it it's just now it's just just gonna just okay i want to walk away from it um so i'm I'm hoping that chips will tone it down a little bit as far as i don't want them to tone it down all the way because i do like that adolescent humor because 80 percent of the trailer 80 percent of the trailer revolved around jokes about penis like it's just yeah i hope there's more to the movie than that I hope so as well, because, you know, but then again, you know, the, one of the best movies I've seen, you know, this century is the 40 year old virgin. Um, and, but because they didn't rely on those jokes, they actually told a decent story. A very good story is encased within that movie. Plus some, some actors that were ready to break out a lot of actors, you know, you, you know, that's one of the most poignant movies and most important movies in comedy for, or in actually Hollywood uh, for this century, and I, pe- people are going to laugh at me, but take a look at the success of all the actors after they did that film, and you realize that 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 they all converged at that one point in time, and they all broke out after that film became a big hit. So, you know, that film was good because it it, it had the in joke there, but it did not rely upon it, and it actually told a good story at the same time. Whereas we see with chips from the trailer, it's just looks like it's going to be a one-liner joke every single time and a one-note joke leading into, you know, the, the politically, you know, incorrect uh, offensive jokes one after another after another that, that might have been great in the 80s with porkies and whatnot, but really doesn't seem to fit in, in today's society. And when you talk about, you know, um, the other movie that was shown with, with Baywatch, the, I don't know really just how far that's going to go as far as a, uh, a, a, a comedy is concerned, but that one's going to have a little bit of shallowness to it as far as a story. And I'm, I'm not interested to go see it, but you know what? Props to them for, you know, for taking the time and money to go ahead and do it, whereas you and I talked about Warner Brothers wouldn't do it for Wonder Woman. Right. You know, that's that's exciting, too, that they're taking a chance on a new property. And as for offensive jokes, it seems to be the currency of the realm when it comes to comedies. And I mean, because Sausage Party had that, but it chose to to do well enough with the story that it it worked out, even though like, you know, like like the, the name implies, there's a lot of politically incorrect stuff going on. But it was done in a manner that actually still told a cohesive story, and that's why it did so well, surprisingly so well at the box office. Right, and you have to be clever about it, and that's the whole that's the whole thing with Baywatch and, and Chips. Is it going to be over the top, or is it going to tell us a story? Is there going to be a, a any moment in these movies that will allow us to take them seriously? Uh, Trailer number two. I don't. We don't usually go over television shows here, but Stranger or not tell. But you know, this is a Netflix show. Uh, Stranger Things season two. Um, I loved the first season. Did you watch it, Gerald? Bits and pieces. Yes, I did. Um, but it's it's definitely something that a lot of people are looking forward to, and I think a lot of people were disappointed when they saw such a a cool trailer, and at the end it said. 
October. So people just want to really just watch it like tomorrow. <laughs> but it does hit on a lot of right notes. It does have that nostalgia factor that you had mentioned earlier that I think uh, a lot of people enjoy, but doesn't touch on it so much that it just overloads the entire series as a whole. It, it was very good. Like it was, yeah, it has the nostalgia factor. And it reminded me of like something I would watch when I was a kid, but at the same time, it, it told a really good story. It, it did something that I have not seen in a long time. It made you interested in the characters it told a story and it made you want to go back and watch more. And even like the characters that died in the show, you still, there's still people like clamoring for backstory on, on all of them. So in my eyes, that's the sign of a great story. And because we have to wait till October, you know, that I I'm, I'm more than willing to wait just because I like the show so much, but you know, there's a lot of good things hitting Netflix between now and then, so I don't think we're going to run out of things to binge watch anytime soon. Uh, trailer number four, we have Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales. It was a very, very quick uh, flashes of what we can expect from this movie. Obviously, Johnny Depp's back. Uh, Barbosa is back uh, doing whatever Barbosa does. And we have, uh, they showed, I don't know if you caught, did you see the trailer? They had a, they gave us a quick glimpse of Orlando Bloom's character. Did you happen to see that? Yes, he, he's back. So is Kira Knightley. Is and Kira then, Knightley back though? Is that confirmed? Yes, yes they're both are back. That is confirmed. And, and my question to you is how big of a role do you think they're going to have in these movies? I don't think they're going to have a huge role that they had before. I could be wrong. Um, but I do think it's going to center around him coming back for after another 10 years. Yeah. He's have to go away for 10 years. So that, that was the deal. He could be human for like for one day or whatnot. But they said that the dead have taken over the sea. So that might be why he has like the, the clams all over his face. Well, he is, he is still, he's dead. He, you know, he gave up his life in order to, he sacrificed himself in order to, to save everyone that was, you know, dear to him. And I think that, that he's going to play a role. I don't know if he'll be the you know, big role that he had before, because there's just, it's getting kind of crowded in the, in the whole universe there. Um, but you still have to give a lot of time for Jack Sparrow to be, well, Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow. because that's why people are coming into the movie as, as a speak. So. Yes. So we are all eagerly anticipating that movie and it's going to make a lot of money as you know, the previous installments did, even though some of them weren't that great. But Johnny Depp has, you know, he's had a streak of bad luck lately. So this could be the kick in the pants that he needs to get his career kickstarted again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, has, I look at his lot, I mean, well, fantastic beast and where to find them. He had a really small role, but I'm, you know, he still got a decent paycheck from that movie. And I think that he, his career relies on franchises and he, I, I saw what's the movie where he was a machine or he put he's a conscious his consciousness goes into the internet or whatever it is was it transcendence transcendence and I liked that movie I think that people you're again, one of the few it's a typecasting thing people get used to seeing him in a role and that's all they want to see him in Christopher Nolan Johnny Depp he thought it was a can't miss yeah exactly 
Um, all right, next trailer we have Fate of the Furious. I haven't watched it. Gerald, did you see the trailer? Yes, yeah, and this theme of the day this year, just like uh, Transformers, your the favorite hero of everybody, Vin Diesel, goes bad and starts making out with Cherie's throne, which is actually you know not that bad, I guess uh, if you could do it. <laughs> so, um, but he becomes a bad guy against his former friends and you know, leads you to believe that he's just going to create havoc and, and, you know, forget your friends for some reason, including his loved one, Michelle Rodriguez. So you, you wonder why that is. So you got to tune in and watch and obviously it's going to lead to more car chases and more fast breaking, you know, stunts and all that good stuff that everybody is so familiar with, with fast and furious and make another billion dollars at the box office this year. This is uh, Fortune Telling with Gerald Glassford. Stay tuned for next week's episode. <laughs> um, well, you could pretty much call that one. Yeah, no. It, it, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's just going to be – at this point, like, I don't even care to know why he's – But they're like, like – it's like you Transformers. We really don't care. You don't really like – you just want to see the cars jumping. And yeah. with Transformers, you just want to see the robots changing. And there you go. I'm not going to, yeah, I don't go into any of those movies expecting a story that's going to, like, pull me in. I, I don't even pay attention. Like you said – can anyone really say what the last three or four Transformer movies were about? You can't. No. Uh, next trailer, Logan. Uh, we we've already talked a lot about Logan on this show, and that was really just more. They didn't really offer us anything new except a uh, you know a cool song to go with it. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. That was they they get they they showed a lot in this one actually. Did you you saw it, Gerald? Uh, what what are your thoughts on this? Looks like it's going to be more of the same uh, with some added, uh, you know, entities. I, I found it uh, nice to see Yandu and um, Gamora's sister uh, in the previous film. They're now battling on the side with uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, along with the new uh, added alien is concerned. So uh, it, it'd be interesting to see how they all will fit in. Uh, and if they'll stay fit in and working together throughout the throughout the film and what brings them together. So it, it's interesting to see for me how Kurt Russell playing the dad planet, uh, planet dad uh, for all intents and purposes, seeing how his character is going to evolve and, and, and be involved with, you know, Chris Pratt's character. So that will be very interesting to see, you know, how he and star Lord, you know, uh, get along. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of daddy issues there or planet issues or both per se. So that'll be interesting watch indeed. But it looks like another, you know, I, I'm going to be there. That's that's one I don't wait for the box office returns. That's one I go see that first weekend in May. Oh, heck yeah. Do you think that since uh, Chris Pratt's dad is a planet, would that make Chris Pratt a continent? Either that or just like some moon that's like orbiting around. Just a moon or an asteroid. We'll find out, I guess, when we go to uh, see the movie. Uh, they pretty much had their own mini Avengers franchise inside of those movies. So I, I you know, on, ensemble movies—that's where it's at. That, that's where the future is going to be. Uh, let's see. We got Transformers: The Last Night. We talked about that. Just more Optimus Prime being bad. Why is he doing this? We'll have to find out. Um, and then, last but not least, I am half interested in a cure for wellness. Before I saw the trailer, I. I read about it and I didn't really care to see it, but now I'm I'm somewhat interested. What are your thoughts? I'm not really interested. I I 
did seem kind of samey throughout. You have to be really a, attached to that environment. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're interested in it because I, I wanted to be, but it just, it didn't grab me. Um, it is being directed by Gore Verbinski, which everybody seems to know from Pirates of the Caribbean. So I'm interested to see how he's doing a movie that's on a smaller scale. So I'm interested in seeing how that fits. And I'd like to see more of it before I make a total decision on it because it has not grabbed me as of yet. Two things. One, it could end up being what Shutter Island was supposed to be. And two, we don't know if Jack Sparrow is not going to show up in this movie. We'll just have to wait and find out. But, all right, so that is the Double J Filmcast. We went a little long today. Gerald, thank you for joining us. Do you have anything that you would like to push, maybe the pop culture cosmos, a little bit? Well, I just want to thank, first off, to you and Humanica Media for allowing me to come on. Uh, if Justin ever can't can't make it again, I, I'd be honored to return if you would want me back, first off. But I do want to say thank you again for everyone that's listening and watching. And if you are really, really interested in what we have to offer, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, Humanica Media on Facebook, you like our pages today to get all the latest goodness, goodness gracious stuff of, of, you know, either his videos that Josh produces or the, you know, the latest news in pop culture, which, which I put on the page every day. And then also you will get latest information on our shows that we work on as hosts together. The Pop Culture Cosmos Show, which is the number one show on Monday nights and the number two show overall in the entire podcast radio network. That's at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And we are so proud and so humble um, at the same time as far as, uh, you know, getting these type of numbers. It's beyond what I expected when we started the the show in August. Uh, just, Just truly just mind-blowing that we're you know we've moved so far up so fast and that's a credit to you the listeners out there for doing so so catch that show 10 30 p.m eastern 7 30 p.m pacific on the podcast radio network and then that has spun off into a show that that combines the best of the pop culture cosmos universe called the pcc multiverse which has a great sampling of all of our shows plus original talk that we put on there each week and that's going to be uh every friday that's every friday at 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific and if you can't catch it also on both on the podcast radio network on friday like i was going to say as well both you got a monday show on the network and a friday show on the network but if you can't catch either or you can't catch them on the podcast radio network you can always download the latest episodes of each on the pop culture cosmo channel they're both on the same channel pop culture cosmo channel on itunes stitcher google play podcast.com mixcloud and then also the eso network the tangibound network and the gunna geek network as well and we truly appreciate you listening to all of our podcasts and also watching all of our video programs. And a lot of the stuff that Humanican Media makes is part of the Pop Culture Cosmos universe. And, you know, you can hear bits and pieces of the shows. Some of it's even up on the Pop Culture Cosmos page. So this is a uh, joint effort. And uh, we appreciate all of your guys' support, all the listeners. Uh, please Stay tuned and see what we have coming at you in the future. But for now, I am your host, Josh Peterson, and that is Gerald Glassford. 
whose name may or may not start with a J. And uh, we appreciate you guys, and we will be back here next week. Any closing thoughts? I feel like going to Starbucks and getting a hot chocolate. With, uh, spell my name correctly on there? Or... Probably. All bets are off on that one. And then maybe I'll go see a double feature with my wife. Do you think if... <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that if you told them your name was L, would they spell it E-L or would it just be L? Again, all bets are off from there. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Fair. Starbucks, Starbucks baristas have been fair game now for a couple of years, so I think I'll just let them off the hook this time. <laughs> all right. This is the Originality Podcast. Uh, join us next week as we discuss more movies and then movies some more. And then maybe we'll talk about movies. Who knows? But thank you, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one, everyone. And let's hope you have yourself what? A A great great day. day.